This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. But the major news, not spring training. It's not about the players. The Oakland A's, in cooperation with Alameda County and Major League Baseball, announced they have received approval to welcome fans back to the Oakland Coliseum for 2021. Beginning opening day you're going to be able to get your a's flex tickets and you're some of you are going to be able to get in the ballpark and watch baseball once again it's a um it's a it's a major story i mean if you go to the stories on espn.com it's one of the story california is is all of a sudden now opening up You know, it was just literally less than a month ago that the San Jose Sharks were not allowed to play in San Jose, that they had to go to Arizona to play. That was just a little less than a month ago. We're not going to get political here on on A's Cast Live. That's not why you come here. But obviously, this whole thing with the votes for the recall is changing California. And it's for you people to go to games again. For us to go to games again. I can't wait. It's been over a year since we've been to a real game. We got to see spring training last year. We got to go to Vegas and see them take on the Indians. But that was, you know, that wasn't real games. I think, Cody, this is going to be, you know, the minute the minute we go to a game, I have a feeling we're we're gonna we're we're gonna really show our appreciation for the sport that we love so much that we work around, and just to have it back in our lives, I I, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be incredible. I can't I can't wait to go to a game, Cody. Well, we always mention the last game we went to, and you're wearing the shirt right now. It says "Let's Get Wild." Was the uh, wild card game against the Tampa Bay Rays, where we had a uh, sellout at the Coliseum of over 55,000 people. Now, I think I saw it was Matt Kawahara of the San Francisco Chronicle who covers the A's saying that it, the 20% capacity that the fans will be allowed in on opening day would be around 11,000 fans. So that's a pretty good number to have to start. And then it goes up in tiers uh, as you go along, as you get out of the different 
So if Alameda County stays in the red tier, they're at 20%. If they go up in, in the orange, into the orange tier, it's 33%. And then 67% capacity in yellow. So, And there's a lot of different um, things that, you know, that go into this. And we really won't dive into a lot of it. But, you know, obviously you're going to be physically distant seating. You're going to have face coverings required. You know, ticket sales will, only be, will be restricted to California residents only. Mobile tickets only. Cashless transactions you know, all stuff to keep everyone safe. But I'm I'm excited to hopefully we can go to a game again at some point this year. If it's not in the first half, okay, that's fine. Second half of the year when there's a playoff push coming, that's when I hope we can return to the Oakland Coliseum. Yeah, as of now, we're not going to see each other in the treehouse. But, and this is not trying to make a, a, a joke, but, I mean, we're used to 11, 12,000 people at the game. So that, I mean, for, for us, it, it won't be abnormal. And we've also said if there's any place that you can social distance, I, I mean, of course, that is the Oakland Coliseum. We may have the best social distancing stadium in, in the league. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about putting people up uh, on Mount Davis. I, but I, I think for all of our fans, it's it's going to be – it's going to be a great time, and I think we're going to be loud and we're going to be rowdy, and I can't wait to see the Astros. I can't wait to see the Astros with fans in the stands. It was a whole different ball game last year, them walking around and not getting heckled. They didn't have a great year, but they got hot at the right time. So, you know. They haven't had to face the wrath of the fans. And this is, this is for me, this is not something that happened five years ago. This is still fresh on our minds, fresh on the Angel fans. Dodgers still hate them. Now we're going to see what it's going to be like when they get called cheaters to their face every game that they play on the road. That's 81 times that they're going to have people yelling at them. And now they're going to have to deal with it, finally. And how about the guys that weren't a part of it that are going to have to hear it and wear it? You don't think when a, when a, when a reliever gets up at a place like the Coliseum, you're not going to have fans yelling at them? You don't think the people, are when you come out on deck, when Altuve or Bregman, Correa come out on deck and people are yelling, you cheaters, people are making signs. They were the one team of any team in professional sports that benefited from COVID-19. But now they're going to get it. And I can't wait to see it. Because you're going to have to be really, you know, when there's going to be that much negativity on you, you're going to have to really be mentally tough day in and day out and have to take it. Because think what COVID's also done to the media. You can't go into the clubhouse. So it's not like Astros show up to town and the, and the, and the like New York media gets, uh, get, gets to go in there and talk to them. Or the Bay Area media or whoever. No. Everything's by a Zoom call. We use Google Meets. 
But you, you get what I'm saying. They've gotten away with this thing for so long now, but it's going to be like ripping an old, an old scab off. It, it's coming. Don't the, don't we play the Astros? Is that first or second series of the season? Opening day, April 1st at the Coliseum, A's oh, Astros. Opening day, 11,000 fans yelling at you. And trust me, A's fans at 11,000 can get loud. So we're going to see it game one. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Are we back on the field yet? Uh, Well, we won't be, but hopefully at some point this year. The Astros are already facing some problems. Now this is more COVID-related. They have eight pitchers that were in COVID protocols now that weren't able to, that weren't able to pitch today. Uh, it was Christian Javier, Pedro Baez, who they just signed from the Dodgers. Uh, Francis Martez, Enoli Paredes, Hector Velasquez were all out. And then on Thursday, Brian Abreu, Ronel Blanco, and Luis Garcia were sent away from the complex. So, And then remember, Framber Valdez also just got hurt with a fractured finger. So the Astros, it's, uh, you know, and when everyone talks about how they're, they're the favorite to win the NL, the NL, the AL West this year, and, uh, they, you know, they, they're still the best team. I, I, I have a hard time believing that, just like I have a hard time believing the Angels are going to be so much better this year. Although Shohei Otani did look really good today on the mile of five strikeouts and hitting 100. But the Astros are going to have to face it, and, and, and it's going to be something that's going to be fascinating to watch all year long. I know a lot of people are going, yeah, I, th- I think uh, we, you know, we, wa- we wiped our hands clean of it. No, fans have long memories, and everyone's going to yes. remember this. Yes. Did Matt, did, uh, who did Olsen take deep today? Um, it's, it wasn't, it was not, um, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, Otani, I don't think, if I remember correctly. Oh, it was Keller. So yeah. that, you know, really good news right there. If you're just looking at the glass half full, I mean, it's a spring training game. The A's lost to the Angels today, 7-3. to three. But, you know, Matt Olson hitting 429, got a couple home runs now. He got that A's cast live mojo. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's face it. When you're hitting under 200, that's rough. That really, really is rough. And I thought, and I, I honestly thought he was so honest about last season and just getting into his head. And a lot of it had to do with watching too much video. I mean, think about it. These guys had so much time on their hands. Like, you go to the ballpark, and then you go back to the hotel, and you don't go anywhere. I mean, there's only so much TV you're going to watch. I mean, so some of these guys just started watching so much video, and they got in their own heads. Might be a time for quite a few of these guys to get back to the, the roots of sea ball hit ball. And if Matt Olson can have a rebound year where he is a guy that has the capability of hitting 50 home runs, he has the capability of driving in 140 runs. You're, you're talking about a monster MVP type season. He's got that in him. I think he, you know, I, I think he can get out of bed and hit 40 home runs. When I think about when I, you know, when you just like project it, 
I mean, 40 home runs is going to be nothing for him. That's why I'm saying potential, Cody, for 50 and let's go 120 or more RBIs. I mean, that, you, you do that, you're getting MVP votes, especially if you're on a good team. I think it's a doable number, uh, especially in the offense the A's have. And, you know, they have the two home runs, they hit the 420. Now, again, uh, we're talking about spring training here, and, but it's, it's, it's not hard to get excited about seeing Olsen hit the ball. Another, something else that happened earlier today in the game, I'm going to play an audio highlight for you. Uh, this play happened earlier in the game, and uh, Matt Chapman robbed Kurt Suzuki, and it was good to see him back in the field. He swings and pulls one to third. Diving play by Chapman up and over to first on a bounce. Pulled in by Olsen. Hello. Welcome back to playing defense for Matt Chapman. It's like he never left. And if you're looking for a play for Matt Chapman to tell you, I'm 100%. Yeah. We just saw it. So Matt Chapman get into action early with a diving stop at third to throw out Kurt Suzuki. Now, it obviously wasn't. It wasn't a Ronald Acuna Jr. or Mike Trout running on the line, but still it was a nice play, and it shows that his hip looks uh, pretty healthy. So that's, that's a good sign uh, if you're taking, taking, trying to look for positives in the 7-3 loss in spring training. Uh, that's definitely one of the positives from today's game. No, there's no doubt about that. You know, this is the same it, – it's the same surgery. Didn't it, did, isn't this the one Manaya had and Canna had? Is yeah. it the same surgery? Yeah. Yes, it is. These guys are young. They're healthy. He's going to be fine. And look for him to have a big year. If your two corners have a big year, and if you can get Jed going again, and guys in their prime like Canna and Loriano and Piscotti, if Piscotti can stay healthy, we just follow this team more than people outside of the market. So, I, you know, these national guys, when they make their predictions, I don't even know if they really follow all of our moves, but the, the guys that do, like Jim Duquette, will tell you know, yes, he told us, the former GM from Sirius XM MLB channel, he thinks the A's are going to be fantastic. He's been following it. He loves this flurry of moves late in spring to sure up the holes. I mean, when when are we getting David on next week? Yeah, he told me to check back with him next week, so hopefully we'll have him one of the days we're on next week. You know, we're hearing that these executives didn't even have their budgets. People didn't know. Let me tell you something. The budget just changed. With fans in the stands, budget just changed. Things just dramatically changed for California teams. You know, we, we spoke with Jesse Rogers earlier today out of Chicago. They have not announced in Illinois fans for Cubs or White Sox. Every state, every county, everything's different. I mean, you 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 would have thought we would be the last state to have fans in the ballpark. 100%. You would have thought, 100%. Right? And the president of your organization joins us now. How are you? Great news today. Oh, it's fantastic news. We're thrilled to have fans on opening day to open the Coliseum back up to our loyal fans and have it roaring with uh, 10 or 11,000. It's going to be a great day. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm shocked. I mean, we were obviously the Bay Area. We were locked down more than anybody else around the country. And 
the fact that we're going to be one of the first states to open up to fans, I, Day, I'm shocked by that. It, it's, it's great news, but I'm shocked. Well, I have to tell you, it, it really took the collective effort of all the California teams, Major League Baseball, working hand-in-hand with the governor's office um, to really come up with a safe operating plan to have the pod seating and the masking and all the necessary elements to ensure that we could have a safe opening. And I think we, we proved that up in a way that made sense. And, you know, now we're going to have the fans for opening day. So it's going to be great. Man, you know, Dave, we, we just have so much appreciation for the fans now. I, I think the, I've never I've never seen the players like this before where they all talk about we miss the fans. But it's very obvious that everybody in the sport and all the other sports, the, the games are just not the same without fans. No, the energy that they bring and it makes it so much more consequential. And, you know, I think the players play better. They get up for the experience of being around the fans. And so, like, you know, I just think that's such an important aspect of what we're doing here. And we maybe lost sight of it a little bit, but now I think it's at everyone's forefront because we lost it there for a year. And it's just fantastic that we have them back, especially for opening day. Now, obviously, and we're going to go over this later in the show, but obviously the protocols uh, are going to be at the Coliseum and people just need to have patience and understand that you're not only trying to entertain them, but at the same time, you're also trying to keep them safe. Yeah, absolutely. And people should know that, you know, we're doing everything we can. You know, safety is the number one goal for the players, for the staff, for our fans. And, you know, over time, as we move through the tiers, red into orange and into yellow, you know, things could get relaxed more. But to start out, you know, we have 20%, of course, the mandatory mask wearing, you know, limited concessions options. You know, the food is going to have to be um, really purchased on an app and delivered to you. So it's going to be a slightly different experience. And, you know, we're hoping fans can be, you know, flexible and understand that, that this is just something that it's going to take to, to get the fans there at least to start. And you have your new A's flex ticks, and it's, as we were mentioning the word flexible, I mean, it, it's great for the fans. Well, that's the idea. You know, it basically serves as almost like a gift card where you can use that credit to buy individual game tickets as games open up for fans. And so you'll be able to pick pods of two or four, and you'll have priority access ahead of anyone else, you know, the folks in the general public and, and that's going to be important because there's not that many seats in the lower deck it's important to remember it's 10,000 capacity across the entire stadium so there's only about 4,000 in the lower deck and we really encourage people to get their flex ticks so they can sign up and get great seats and I cannot wait for the Houston Astros to come to town Dave I cannot wait <laughs> this is well, gonna... of course we're lighting the candle with the Astros was there any doubt <laughs> it's like now, okay, you got away with it last year, but you're not going to get away with it this year, especially with our fan base. Well, yeah, and, you know, we want to go out there and we want to win our division. And, you know, I think our fans are going to represent and it's going to be a great experience at the Coliseum. And, you know, we're just thrilled to get started. You know, we, we haven't talked to you about it. Uh, how, how is the Coliseum doing as a vaccination site? Oh, it's been a massive success. You know, we're doing eight to 9,000 vaccinations a day. Um, we've had great outreach into the local East Oakland community. We have two mobile um, units that go out to the faith-based community and the churches and ensure that we get folks in the local community vaccinated. 
We have teachers coming, you know, from the entire Bay Area to get vaccinated there. I think we had 5,000 teachers vaccinated the other day. And so it's just been a great resource. And it's important to remember that those are all federal doses of vaccine. Those are doses that normally wouldn't be in the Bay Area. And so the fact that we got the first federal site in the country at the Coliseum has really been a positive for our community. Yes, I know two teachers who work with my wife who got vaccinated at the Coliseum, and they said they were amazed how efficient it was because in other locations we're hearing not very efficient. Yeah, I mean, this is a federal effort. You have FEMA there, you have the National Guard, you have all the different elements working together, you know, with the state operation um, of of emergency operations group. And so, yeah, it's a well-oiled machine and, and, you know, we can coexist site and games that are socially distanced with about 10,000 capacity. That can work fine. They stay in the north lot for vaccinations. Anyone coming to the game comes to the south lot, gets off on Hagenberger. It can, it's designed to handle both, kind of like a dual event. And so I think that's a really important thing that people need to understand. So you are in Arizona. Just tell us what the vibe is like with the team right now. Well, I think, you know, this team is is looking to finish some business. You know, I think we built on the wild card years by winning the division, by obviously advancing around in the playoffs. But I think everybody wants more. And I think they want to be able to show the league and, and everyone in baseball what this team can do over 162 games. Um, and there's a lot of new arms in camp that people are excited about. The bullpen is very strong. And so it's, it's a very positive vibe. But it's one that is a little different than the last couple of years because I think there's a little bit more seriousness that people want to go out there and, and show folks that, that we can go deep into the postseason run and, and maybe the whole way. Well, I know how much the, the, the fans mean to you because you interact as a president with your fan base more than most uh, presidents in professional sports. So y- you don't have to be talking to cardboard cutouts anymore. You're going to be able to talk to fans. I'm going to love it. It's going to be great, just like old times. You can tell, tell a bunch of stories. And, yeah, I don't need to take any more selfies with the cardboard cutouts. That's, that's a thing of the past. And uh, so I'm really happy about that. Well, great news, and we always appreciate your time. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll enjoy some A's baseball. All right, let's go, Oakland. Well, it's been a while since we last had, last had you on the program. How is life treating you? Everything is good, man. I'm watching, uh, watching you know, my share of college basketball, but thankful we have some spring training baseball in our lives now. Uh, I need to balance things out a little bit, Chris. Yeah, my God, how nice was that yesterday to see it on TV, to see highlights on MLB Network, listening to it on the radio. I mean, that was just – it was just fantastic to have it back. Nice to see fans too, isn't it? You know, I think that's the thing that we really, really missed last year until the postseason, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, you know, we saw it in Texas, and you know, kind of a plan of what they were going to do for the spring and also during the regular season, um, but it was, just, it was just good to see it back. Then, you know, obviously, the players are excited about it, too. Right? You, you hear you know, various players, you know, talking about their relationship with the fans, and, I mean, I, almost anyone I've spoken to has basically said, listen, we, we feed, as players, we feed off the fans and their energy. So, yeah, I think everybody is uh, raising their hands. They'll take whatever they can get. I'm so glad you said that. And I know you've talked to some Oakland A's and, yeah. uh, y- you know, the, the bottom line is, is we took fans for granted and, and the players are really showing for really the first time in a long time, 
true appreciation for the fans. Isn't that refreshing? Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, the one thing I haven't heard, Chris, is them say, oh, yeah, we want the media back in the clubhouse. So I don't know what that says about us in the media side of things now. But, yeah, from the player side, listen, um, you know, whether it's, you know, Aaron Judge playing catch with a fan, and he said, you know, I, I have to make sure my last throw, they can keep the ball. I'll throw it in the stands. Or, uh, you know, Francisco Lindor wanting to sign autographs. Brandon Crawford saying it. Like, pretty much everybody, uh, Pete Alonzo with the Mets, you know, saying that, you know, it's always been something that he feeds off of when they're, when they're yelling and screaming for him. Um, I, think, I think all of those things kind of strike a, a chord, you know, with us as, uh, as fans ourselves. I mean, listen, we've followed the sport, we've been in the sport for a long time, but we're also fans of it, you know. And I think that all of that, um, you know, it matters to see people there in person even if it's, you know, only 25%. As a longtime great executive in this game, how did you feel about Billy Bean and David Force, those last-minute moves they made before camp that really closed all the holes for the A's? They might have saved their season, you know. I mean, it was a, it was a you know, <laughs> that team last spring, a year ago, I was in their camp, and I'm like, boy, this is the best spring, this is the best team I've seen in the spring. And I go to 15 camps almost every every spring training and they by far they were the best team overall just depth starting pitching everything and yeah without without Hendricks and Simeon and Davis and Estella Grossman you name I mean that that was a there was a lot of guys a lot of pieces missing there I'm sure I left out a guy or two but but we to be able to make those moves back to back I thought thought getting Andrews was a real creative uh, trade for them because there weren't I didn't see any shortstops out there and available and that's basically what David Forrest said you know hey we didn't see anybody else there but they had had on and off conversations obviously with Andrews and you know, getting him from Texas so I thought that kicked it off obviously getting Rosenthal and Romo and trading for Caleric all those guys um, you know I, I think that you know re-signing Petit who's been underrated over the years I think all of those things kind of stood out to me and um, you know I think they're the for me, they're the, the best team in the American League West again. Yeah, that, it was it, it was fascinating how many moves, how fast, and how everybody just changed because there were still a lot of people saying, well, I still think the Astros are the best team in the division. But then like a week, people changed their minds and realized this A's team, and this might be the best team the A's have had, even though they've been to the playoffs the last three years. I, I think it is. I, you know, and, and I asked Bob Melvin, I said, you know, you got past a couple of hurdles. You finally won the West. You didn't have to have a, a wild card game, a one game playing. Uh, you know, you you moved on. As to, you know, you got through the DS, uh, basically, uh, right the wild card series there with the White Sox. And so, you know, but of course, you're losing to the, to Houston and DS. All right, so so what's next for this team? Because now the now the you know the attention and the expectations are on this group to to try to do it again. And he said he said, you know what? I think we're hungrier this year than we were even last year. And I thought that was that was pretty telling for me, you know, and it's good news, obviously, if you're an A's fan, because I'm with you. I think it's the deepest. Um, I think that uh, there's more certainty in starting rotation and, and bullpen than, than, uh, than we've seen. I think my only concern, and, and David Forrest kind of uh, uh, agreed with me when I threw it out there, I'm like, I don't know about your, your you know, sixth starter, your seventh starter, who are they? And he's like, you know what? That's really the area that we're, that we're focused on right now. Could be AJ puck, you know, but we're not quite sure who else that could be. So that's just something to keep an eye on. But when you're talking about that on a team, it's pretty deep and pretty good. Yeah. You know, we, we've been addressing that a lot here on A's cast live about, you know, how many starting pitchers 
are you going to need after a season where a lot of guys didn't throw? And if you did throw, you only pitched in probably 11 games, 10 games as a starter. How much do you think the the shortened season last year is going to affect starting pitching this season? Well, listen, it's the talk of any team that we've spoken to throughout the winter, even, you know, not even the spring because of that, you know, the, the, the added workload. And, and there are going to be guys, listen, when you have an experienced rotation, like, like when we talked to Shamanaya yesterday, um, I asked him if he had, you know, any, what kind of restrictions. And he was kind of like, what are you crazy? I'm, 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 I've been on the scene for like, it's my fifth major league season or sixth major league season. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go 200 innings and make 30 starts. I mean, unless the organization says no, and I think that's the tricky part is no one really has an answer. I think the young pitchers like Lazardo they'll be careful with, uh, you know, and Puck you'll be careful with. Um, but, you, you know, you're really going to have to rely on that starting pitcher to tell you the truth um, and be truthful about the workload. And, you know, if they're feeling a little bit of fatigue, then you shut them down. Some teams are using six starters. Personally, if I were in the issues, I'd go with five, even if you have to go short and back it up with their bullpen. You know, Petit maybe gets – you know, a lot of innings out of the pen. You have, you have plenty of guys to go to that way. So I think that's, the, you know, the way that um, that they should handle it. And I think that's the way at least they'll try it early on. You know, I can't imagine what this offseason was like for executives. I mean, you've built teams before. I mean, can you imagine being a National League executive? You, you don't know what your roster size is going to be. You don't know if you're going to have the DH or not. What do you think that was like for these guys? Well, I you know, to me, first off, the, the whole the decision that hasn't been made yet—that's that, the worst. Like, they, you know, they're saying, "Well, you can, you, you need to plan on having the DH." No, no, no. We need the DH in both leagues. I mean, it's over. You know, watching the season this past year, it's clear that's where we're headed, and that every team pretty much wants it in the National League. But you can't build your team that way, obviously. And so, um, you know, I think that it was a, a usual construction of your roster as a National League GM, which is make sure you have a strong enough bench, maybe save a little bit of money like the Braves did. Alex Anthopoulos, uh, their GM, told me, we're going to save a little bit of money in case the, the rules change. We can pivot to a full-time, you know, potential full-time uh, outfielder and, and move Ozuna to the DH role. So there's little things that, you know, each team kind of went about doing. Um, but, but I really think that, um, you know, the National League team's, really do want the DH and I wish major league baseball would just go, go and stop making it a negotiating uh, uh, chip. Yeah. When we talked to David Forrest about it and, you know, he's when, when, when you don't have answers, it's really tough to, to build your roster. And I think about the uh, article that our friend Buster only put out today talking about, you know, it's really glaring. Some teams are not going to be competitive. They're not trying to be competitive. How do you fix that? Is there any way to fix that? Well, I think there there is, um, you know, personally, uh, you know, if you had uh, penalties, so everybody covets uh, draft picks, right? And that's where some of these teams that are tanking, like the Orioles, the Pirates, um, you know, we've seen the Tigers over the years do it that way. Um, and they do it because they want the, top, the you know, it's, it's conditioned to have more draft picks. But I don't think that there's enough incentive to at least – um, try to be competitive. And so I think you could create a, a system that did that by, um, you know, if they spent money, that'd be okay. Then, then that's, that's, uh, that would work towards, um, you know, retaining your draft picks. Um, even if you won 
uh, was quote one, you, you weren't, you know, a 95 or more lost team, or if you, you know, you couldn't do, you couldn't lose that many games, you know, three years in a row. So you, you're allowed to do it twice, but the third year, if you do it, you start to lose, you lose draft picks, some kind of incentive that way to actually win or to actually, you know, spend money. Um, I, I think it's needed, you know, maybe it's a floor for payroll for teams, um, you know, those are things that I think can be worked out. Um, it won't, wouldn't be perfect, but I think it would help. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the floor. We brought that up on this show where we said, okay, if you're going to have basically luxury taxes to keep teams from spending a ton of money, why wouldn't we then have a floor where you say, hey, you can rebuild all you want, but you still have to spend, I don't know, $60 million because last time I checked, all these teams are still getting their television money. They're still getting the national television money. And the fact that you could have a team with like a $35 million payroll just seems ridiculous to me. It does seem ridiculous. And, you know, I think that originally the, the thought was, okay, well, teams won't use the, you know, this year it's $210 million, the, 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 the luxury tax number, and they won't use it as a hard cap. But you're starting to see teams use it as a hard cap. They're th- basically saying there's no way we're going over. We're not going to, you know, it's financially, uh, you know, prudent to stay below it. Um, you lose draft picks. You lose, um, you know, if you were to make a call, even to this point, I heard the uh, Astros didn't want to go over because um, they have a couple of guys that are going to be pending free agents like uh, Verlander. If they made a qualifying offer and someone signed him, they would uh, they would uh, get a draft pick after the fourth round rather than after the second round. Like we're getting to be really ridiculous on on, uh, you know, reasons to stay below the luxury tax. That's not what it was designed for. So. Um, if you're going to act like that and act like it's a, like a hard cap, then yes, you got to create a floor too. And I think that's where the union, the unions, uh, you know, trying to look at those type of, uh, angles when they're, when they're going to negotiate this uh, new collective bargaining agreement later in the summer. Well, I know I've told you, I love your guys show the power alley. I mean, you, you've been carrying Mike Farron for years. I mean, listen, that's, uh, that is my burden, uh, as you know, Chris, and I, I hope, I hope that we can entertain while you're hitting golf balls. Um, yeah. you, you know, you know, I hope that that is improved. Your game straight, a little straighter than uh, maybe the last couple uh, times that we've spoken. You, you, you know what's sad is I have played so much during the pandemic. Yeah. And you would think I got better. I, <laughs> the more you play, the more you think, the more you change your swing. It's yes. just like, my God, I don't get better. It's crazy. It's a frustrating sport, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But your, your guys' show, seriously, what you guys do, and I listen to you guys almost every single day, Channel uh, 89 on XM. I mean, you, your guys' show really is second to none. I appreciate it. We, we have some fun doing it. You know, we try not to take it uh, too seriously, right? We're talking about baseball, so you better have fun along the way doing it. Well, we always appreciate your time. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon. All right, let's do it, Chris. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Danny, welcome to A's Cast Live. Hey, happy to be here, guys. How are we doing? We're just talking about this story uh, about how Ben McDonald playing for the Orioles in his first year that Cal Ripken Jr. was calling his pitches. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, a shortstop calling pitches. I mean, like, what are his signs? How does he relay it to the catcher? <laughs> I mean, it's just a crazy story. Well, if that's the case, then I guess pitchers should get to hit a little bit more, right? If we're going to flip the the roles around, I feel like pitchers should get something on the other on the other end. That's what I'm saying. Because I, I mean, I was a former pitcher, 
if you're going to be calling our pitches, then we need we need something to return here. This is a give and take relationship. Well, I'm gonna. I I just pulled up. So his first year, he was one and zero. Uh, brief stint in the big leagues. Then he went eight and five in the next year. So maybe eight, he went eight and five with a two point four three ERA. So it looked like Cal was pretty good at doing what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, but after that, I think Cal kind of. Um, you know, let let it fall after that. A four eight four ERA in ninety one and a four two four after that. So Cal's got to get his things back in gear. He's got to get his uh, his signs in check. <laughs> hey, you may play every game, but your uh, your calling pitches stinks. Uh, just yeah, for- he's, he's no Iron Man when it comes to pitch calling. That's for sure. <laughs> How nice has it been the last two days just to see fans in the stands? It really has been a breath of fresh air, and and I think. The the people that come to mind really aren't people like myself. It's not even the players. It's not even the coaches. It's the diehard fans that live for baseball. They live for their teams. And I, I'm not going to name names, but I have a specific friend. Uh, his kids are grown. He's divorced. And he lives for Dodger baseball games. He looks for it. Every day he wakes up, you know, he looks for the scores. He checks to see if they're playing. He looks at the box score from the previous night. He lives for a baseball game. And those are the people I feel most happiest for because that was taken away from them for the past year. And now he's going to get the option or opportunity, hopefully, to attend a game now. And so I just think of the people that live for their teams. That's who I'm just most happiest for. I'm, of course, overjoyed to see fans back in the stands and real baseball being played. But those are really the people that come to mind when I think of, you know, just happy I am to see things returning back to normal. Yeah, and, and I was having this conversation yesterday with my wife's a teacher and uh, and her fellow teachers, you know, they're getting vaccinated right now. And I'm just wondering in California, when you look at the Northern California teams and the Southern California teams, at what point are we going to be able to say, hey, there's fans attending baseball games all over the country. I mean, how's California? At some point, we got to get fans into the stands. I'm right there with you. And... It, it's so tough because one, I'm not a doctor. Two, I know nothing about the medical field. With that being said, I've had a lot of conversations with my fiance. She's a nurse at Valley Children's in Fresno, and you know she's been keeping me updated on all the medical reports and, and all the latest. And you know, just on the baseball front too, San Diego's hopeful that they're going to have fans in the stands come opening day. Um, you know, the, the rumors are starting, and when you look across the country, it would be very hard. And, and granted, look, I've, I've lived in California my entire life, and I'm sure you guys know how California functions, but it would be very hard to look at 29 other teams, or if you minus the California teams, about 26 other teams. If they're all allowing fans, and California is that one exception, um, they're going to get a little bit more pressure to have fans in the stands. And look, I'm all on board about being safe, limited capacity, whatever it might be, but it would be something special come an opening day to actually have fans in the stands, and we could actually see you know, that sliver of light that we've all been desiring for so long now. Yeah, we're talking about this week opening up inside restaurants. So I just think it's all going to start falling together. And we've done a good job, you know, uh, having the curve go down. So I'm just hoping we can get our great fans back in. And same thing for the Giants and the Dodgers and the Angels and the Padres. Speaking of the Padres, I see on your Twitter account, you have predicted, you've pinned the tweet. White Sox Padres World Series. Book it, baby. Yeah, uh, I've had that book for a while now. And look, it's all any prediction, let's be honest, it's baseball. It's 95% luck and the other 5% just 
happens to be maybe a little bit of baseball knowledge. Um, but the way I looked at it when I, it was back in 2019, when I made that tweet and I looked at the way Chicago and I looked at the way San Diego constructed their farm systems. And I looked at the way that their financial stability, what, what their finances would look like around this time period. And I thought that they would have an opportunity to take their shots come 2020, 21 for agency. Now COVID put some disruptions and kind of, uh, uh, mess with that timeline, perhaps a little bit, but I'm sticking to it. I mean, those teams obviously did a really nice job this off season. I mean, the Padres adding Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, and then with the Chicago White Sox adding Lance Lynn, they've given me neither of those teams. They've given me reason to believe otherwise. So I'm sticking to it. How do you think the rest of baseball looks at the San Diego Padres when they're giving out 300 million with Tatis Jr., $300 million with Machado. Hosmer's making, well, I don't know, 140 or whatever it is. I mean, how many other baseball teams are looking around going, really? Because they, you're taking on Darvish. You're ta- they've taken on a lot of money. They sure have. And, look, I had a conversation with Padres GM A.J. Preller just a couple weeks ago, and this was before they signed Keone Kila and Mark Melanson. They signed those two guys right after I had this conversation. He told us, he said, no longer are they – he said, look, you know, they're making calls to free agents. However, he's now having players call the Padres, and they're saying, hey, we want to play for you guys. So I think that's, that's everything because we can talk about what the fans think of the Padres and everybody respects them because they've said it themselves. They're not a small market team. They don't believe they're a small market team. Whatever um, the revenues and the TV markets, whatever they suggest, the Padres don't believe they're a low market team. And you got to give him credit for spending all this money. And so I think it really says everything. What AJ told us that players are calling San Diego. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, two years ago before Tatis came up, before they signed Machado, if you would have said players are going to be calling San Diego Padres to play for them, you would have said, you're crazy. I mean, what, what the hell happened? What's going yeah. on with the time continuum here? But that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. I mean, and this year, Hopefully ESPN and MLB network and Fox and everybody will realize I'm tired of seeing, you know, the Red Sox are not the same. So showing me the same tired Red Sox Yankee games. I I think us, the A's, I think the A's and the Astros, we hate each other so much. I think it's a good rivalry, but now that you even have like Justin Turner coming off a world series saying, Hey, when we play the Padres, every game's going to be like a World Series game. That, to me, is the rivalry you must watch this season. I couldn't agree more. And I hate to call it a rivalry yet because the Padres just, frankly, haven't earned that right. They haven't played well enough against Los Angeles in recent years to call it a rivalry. With that being said, you could taste the waters even last year. Max Muncy had a little bit of an incident with Jake Cronenworth at first base. Fernando Tatis got him into a little bit of a um, uh, contact with Austin Barnes at home plate. Uh, And then there was another incident with, um, I believe, I want to say it was Max Muncy again at home plate, uh, like a week later. So there's already, and Trent Grisham had the bat flip against Clayton Kershaw. There's already tension building between those teams. And Andrew Friedman already touched on it. They asked him when they signed Trevor Bauer, they said, are you paying attention to what San Diego is doing? And he was honest. He didn't give the political answer. Oh no, we just, do our own thing no he was honest and said yeah it'd be impossible to ignore what they're doing and it's kind of funny when you look at their off seasons and what they did it was almost as if San Diego brought over Blake Snell and then the Dodgers would uh you know they would bring over some bullpen help with Tommy Canely and then they would uh Padres would go get you Darvish and the the Dodgers would respond it was just this back and forth banter going on and look 
that division is going to be. I, I'm not even looking at the Giants and the Diamondbacks. They're going. They might decide that division because whoever beats up on those teams the most, that could really be the deciding factor because it's going to be stiff competition in that NL West. Yeah, there's a reason why the Dodgers have been winning over 100 games. They 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 beat up on the teams they should, and that's what you do. I remember with the A's years ago. That's what we did with the Astros when they were in last place. It's like how many times can you beat them? Think about the Yankees hammering the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, you've got to feast off the bad teams. I want to ask you about the A's. Uh, we just had Jim Duquette on, and, you know, right before spring training, there were obviously question marks about the A's. And then within a very short period of time, Billy Bean and David Forrest started signing a bunch of people, and they made the trade with Texas for a shortstop. They signed all these bullpen guys, and Jed Lowry's back at second base. What were your thoughts in the offseason about the A's? And then what were your thoughts after they signed all these guys and basically plugged all the holes? Yeah, if you had asked me three, four weeks ago of what I thought about the A's offseason, I would have given you a completely different answer, that's for sure. But, again, it's the Oakland A's, and it's kind of, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And they, I fool myself time and time again. It's constantly, I look at the Oakland A's, and I see what they do earlier in their off seasons, and I say, what the hell are they doing? Why are you letting a guy like Marcus Simeon leave? You can't afford a one-year, $18 million contract. Your homegrown kid, the kid from Berkeley, has been an MVP candidate. You can't afford $18 million. And in a couple of weeks down the road, they're able to turn that into Trevor Rosenthal, Mitch Moreland, Ismero Petit, they were able to re-sign. Uh, that's just what the A's do. So, look, they're going to figure out a way to use their money to their advantage. With that being said, I've always been critical, and I'll continue to be critical of their ownership because I do think they do have some, some more pennies in their pocket to spend. I think that goes without saying. But that being said, it's hard to argue what they're doing. And it's, you know, it's really hard to get on Billy Bean for everything that they've done with this team because, look, they're put right in the forefront right there, and they're ex- expected to be, if not the leader of the division, they'll be right there with the Astros. So it's hard to get on them because time and time again, they've proven us wrong and they've proven me wrong. But I will say I was frustrated there for a long, long, long time until they were able to turn that, turn that dough into Moreland and Rosenthal and company. You know, last year, a surprise team, obviously, was like the Marlins making the postseason, especially what they had to deal with. They were one of the early teams that lost so many players to COVID, but they ended up making the playoffs, the expanded playoffs. If you had to pick one surprise team in this season, who would it be? Oh, boy. Uh can I say Toronto? Is that a surprise team? Because obviously they were able to sneak into the playoffs last year, but I, I just love what they did this offseason. Um, you know, and I really like the, the work that Vladdy Jr. has been putting in. He lost, I think, 30 pounds. Everybody will bring, bring George Springer over. He's going to be a veteran presence in that lineup. Um, in Philadelphia, I know people are really getting on Philadelphia about their inability to pitch because they have the offense. But they're running it back, and I really think they're set up for a 162-game season as opposed to a 60-game. And especially with all the COVID disruptions that that team had last year, I really don't think it's fair to judge them on the 60-game season that they had. Um, they, they just had so many issues. You know, time. I mean, they had one of the highest bullpen ERAs in recent history, in Major League Baseball history. And so they were able to add Archie Bradley, Alvarado from, uh, from the Rays, and they were able to add some nice pieces of their bullpen. Is it enough? Maybe not, especially considering that NL East division is really five teams deep. Like you just mentioned, the Marlins are not going to be any slouch. So 
I'm not going to stand up here and say the Phillies are going to win the NL East this year, but I do expect them to be more competitive than people give them credit for. You got to give the Blue Jays credit. I mean, you're playing in Buffalo. Now you're going to play in Tampa. You can't go back home. I don't have, we have like no clue when American teams are going to be able to play, whether it's hockey, football. I mean, well, I shouldn't say football, basketball, hockey, baseball. We have no idea when American teams are going to be allowed in. Because if you go into Toronto or you go into wherever, you've got to quarantine for 14 days. The, the, the Canadian government is not budging on that. We have no idea when American teams will be able to play in, in, in Canada. And not to mention, it's a young squad. I mean, their leaders are, you know, 22-year-old Bo Bichette at shortstop. Vladdy G, Craig Biggio, and that's why I think that addition of George Springer is so crucial. Now, I'm not making the case that they signed George Springer so that they can lead their team in Florida. I think they're thinking, obviously, more long-term than that. But just to have that veteran presence on your team when you have all these different distractions, I think I don't think we gave Toronto really enough credit because they're ahead of the game. They're ahead of schedule. They're going to have control of the beef of that lineup from Biggio to Bichette, Vladdy, Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, and then even Yunjin Ryu, they're going to have control of those guys for the next two seasons. And then when you take into account that Boston is in a little bit of a mini rebuild mode here, obviously the Yankees and Rays are going to be competitive, but I mean, they're going to be a really sneaky team. And I don't think we gave them enough credit last year because I know it was an expanded playoff and I know they got swept in that first round. But when you consider their youth and how ahead of schedule they actually are and what they're set up for over these next four or five years, they're going to be a scary team to watch. I really have compared them to the Padres of the American. They are almost like the Padres of the American League. You know, you mentioned the Red Sox, and Buster Olney had a very good article today on ESPN.com where it's like, come on. I mean, I mean, you got the Red Sox, you got the Giants, you got the Cubs, you got some teams that have a lot of money who are kind of in, if you want to call it a rebuild, retool, whatever. It's like we've got too many teams plus too many big market, high money teams not trying to win. I don't know how you solve it. I just know as a baseball fan, I don't like it. How do you feel? I couldn't agree more. And especially, I think just focusing on the Chicago Cubs specifically, I think that's been the most disappointing team in the offseason, really. Because when you take into account the Chicago Cubs and what their division looks like, yes, the Cardinals were able to add Nolan Arenado, but after that, it's a pretty – you know, slippery division. I mean, are the Reds going to be able to, you know, match what they did last season without Trevor Bauer? The Pirates are probably going to be the worst team in baseball. The Brewers are going to be the Brewers. They're very competitive, but what exactly are they going to be? So, I mean, I I made the case a few weeks ago that there are about four teams, the NL West, that could win that NL Central division. There's five teams in the NL East that could win that NL Central division. So the Cubs specifically have been very, very disappointing. And then, when you're just looking across baseball and seeing teams not spending, I will say this about the San Francisco Giants and Farhan Zaidi and what he's doing over there in San Francisco. If they have club options on Buster Posey, they'll have club options on Johnny Cueto. They have an opportunity to have $100 million coming off the books this year, after this year, I should say. And so if they decline those club options, they're going to have $100 million to spend. And I will say, look, San Francisco hasn't spent a lot of money these past two off seasons, but they were involved in those Bryce Harper sweepstakes. They were rumored to be involved in those Trevor Bauer sweepstakes. So they've been in there. I just think all these veteran contracts that they've, that Barnes' idea has had to absorb, I think it's really, you know, handcuffed him for a long time. But I think, 
I think it'll be fair that, to judge the San Francisco Giants after this season. I'm not going to be too quick to, uh, you know, put any kind of indictment on them quite yet. You know, if I was to look at the Giants, and you're right. I mean, you know, Crawford's going to be off the books. Belt's going to be off the books. They're going to have a lot of money to spend. But you know what we have not seen? We have not seen a free agent hitter basically since Barry Bonds say, you know what? I want your money and I want to come play for you. Uh, they traded for Hunter Pence, Hunter Pence and then falling in love, and then they signed him. But for the most part, free agent hitters do not want to hit at Oracle Park. It's just I they, they've been able to attract pitchers, but they're never able to get the offensive guys. So even if they have a ton of money, how many guys really want to go hit in the cold every night? Probably not too many. But that being said, like I said, they're going to have a hundred plus million off the books. If Javi Baez is going to be a free agent, um, Anthony Rizzo is going to be a free agent, Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman. Next year's free agency class is looking pretty stout. I mean, there, there's some dudes that pitching wise, uh, it's a little bit lower end. There's not too many big, not, big time free agent pitchers after the season, but hitting wise, there's some dudes out there. And so, if they throw them the entire bank and say, hey, Freddie Freeman, we're going to give you 45. And look, we've already seen what Mike Trout has been offered, obviously, from the Angels, what he signed a few years ago. We just saw what Fernando Tatis Jr. was able to extend with the Padres. I don't think too many teams are going to be you know, scared to offer this amount of money to these established veteran guys. So if they say, look, Freddie Freeman, and, and Freddie's not really known for being a power guy. He's been more of a gap-to-gap guy. He's added more power. Um, over the years, but he's really a gap-to-gap hitter with some power involved. And so if you say, hey, Freddie Freeman, why don't you come over here to Oracle Park? We'll give you $40 million a year, and we're going to be a competitive team. And I do believe that San Francisco is going to be back into being a competitive team real soon. I I think you'd have some some players, and maybe not Freddie Freeman specifically, but I think you'd have some players definitely take take that suggestion and, and think twice about it, that's for sure. Let's end on this. Obviously, what happened with the Mariners president and manipulating service time and finally having an an executive admit that they're doing that. It's been happening all over baseball. Uh, It's just a mess in Seattle right now. How do you think the commissioner's office is feeling right now? Now that the let's just say the cat's out of the bag and you got the CBA coming up here at the end of the year, this whole keeping guys down. It doesn't happen in other sports. It doesn't happen football, basketball, hockey. Like, how bad of a look is this? And, and, and does baseball need to say to its executives and its ownership, we need to change how we do business? Hey, Josh Donaldson said it best. He said, thank you very much, Kevin Mather, for essentially he, – he, this is how I described it. He essentially got in the middle of the room, and everybody knew he had that butterfly tattoo on his back. They could see it poking out of his shirt. But he basically stripped down naked for all of Major League Baseball to see what the owners have been doing for years now. They've been manipulating people's service time, and we all know how sneaky these owners can be. They're penny pinchers at times. And so they basically said they exposed themselves wholeheartedly. And so I actually think it's long-term, yes, don't get me wrong, the comments he made and everything that the owners have been doing about manipulation is disappointing to say the least. That being said, I think it's actually going to be good for baseball. And I think the Padres are a perfect example I hate to keep bringing up the Padres here, but what they did and A.J. Preller did with Fernando Tatis Jr. in 2019, their players went into A.J. Preller's office and said, you'd be crazy to not pull up Fernando Tatis Jr. right on opening day. You'd be crazy to not pull him up. 
And so he listened to his players and he brought him up. He did. He decided not to manipulate that service time. And so I think these, you know, these um, development, these developing GMs, these um, new thinking minds can really help set the tone for other ball clubs. And especially as the CBA comes up, I think it could be good for baseball long term, seeing them set the example. And maybe we can get kind of a turn and we can lead these manipulating of times in a rearview mirror because it's been bad for baseball for years. Chris Bryant. I mean, there's a handful of guys that have really royally been screwed um, over time. So I think it could be good for baseball just because exposure can be good. And when they expose themselves like that, maybe it helps the players long term. Hey, great stuff. We appreciate the time. Be safe and let's do this again soon. Hey, always. Thanks so much for having me and uh, enjoy the rest of your spring. Jeff, it is always great to have you on the program. Uh, Great to have you back and all our broadcasters and baseball back. How did it feel calling a game? It was fun, Chris. It was nice to, to be back in a, in a warm environment, even though it was a little chilly. Uh, it was no snow, that's for sure. And, um, you know, it's nice to see the guys out on the field competing. Um, but as I was telling you earlier, it, it's really fun to see fans in the stands. Um, and, in, and in spring training, even more so, because you've got those outfield firms, you've got a lot of blankets. Uh, even though each one of those blankets has a white chalk mark around each one designating where you can sit. Uh, it, it was nice to see people at the ballpark and excited about watching teams play. You know, that's been the one thing that we, you know, so last week talking to a lot of our players, you know, we took fans for granted and it's sad, but I think for guys like yourself who who played so many years in major league baseball and now broadcasted so many years, I mean, you just realize the, the juice that the fans bring you. So even though you don't have a lot of fans in the ballpark, just to have them back is it's really a special thing. It really is. And I think that every player has that bit of adrenaline or anxiousness, however you want to call it, when they go out to play, uh, even in a, even in a situation that we had last year, uh, the competitiveness is what drives you. But when you're, when you're on the field and you've had a rough day and you're kind of questioning, okay, am I still able to do this? Uh, it's really the fans that, that put you over that last little edge, that last little step. And I think you notice it the most when the game begins and when the game ends, but it's there all throughout. I, and I think the, the fans that come to the ballpark are really what drives great players. You know, I, I, I think about in, in your great career, your all-star career, um, you know, when you think about what pitching is going to be like this year, I mean – do you have any idea what it's going to be like for either starters, relievers, the fact that you only had 60 games last year, you didn't throw a, a whole heck of a lot last year, and now you're going back into a full season. What do you think that's going to be like for pitching? I think it's going to be very similar to what we've seen with a team like Tampa Bay over the last few years. I think you're going to have someone that starts the ball game. Uh, I don't believe that they're going to pitch five or six innings. I think teams are going to be very careful with the arms, especially early going. Uh, I think you may see a, a three-inning starter, a, a three-inning middleman, middle and then you're going to see maybe a, a setup guy for one and, a, and an eighth-inning guy for the second, inning, and then you're going to have a closer to finish the ball game. You could very well see five or six pitchers in every single ball game that you watch, whether they're winning or losing. That's that, that. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's uh, the traditional setup of a of a staff has like completely changed. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? I, I don't I don't much care for it. I, I like for starting pitchers to 
to push through. I, I like to see starting pitchers pitching six or seven innings, but that, that's not really where we see today's game. Uh, and, and it's not going to go back to the other way unless you just have a, a talent that can go out there and dominate the third time through the lineup. I think we've, we've seen this statistically that teams are better off being able to have a, a bullpen that can come in and fill some middle innings and then have three hammers at the end of the ball game that, that can throw the ball a hundred plus miles an hour and get strikeouts and get quick outs. I think that's the way the, the game is structured. And I, I think more and more, Chris, as we move forward, there's going to be an emphasis by every club, whether you're the Yankees or whether you're the, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, whether you're the Cubs or the Cincinnati Reds, everybody is going to be focused on having players that they can move within their system. And that means players that you're able to send down, rest a little bit. It may be, you may be saying you're sending them down to get some extra work, but you're really sending them down to start to, to rest so you can bring them back to pitch in the big leagues. You know, when I think about the Cincinnati Reds, and obviously it was a 60-game season, but the three true outcomes, strikeouts, home runs, walks, the, the Reds were one of the most highest in the history of baseball. What was last season like offensively watching that, knowing that it was either home run or bust for the Reds? Yeah, I think the the mantra basically for the Reds last year was um, do damage or walk. And I think that that philosophy led to a lot more strikeouts than anyone really realized. And I think we see it not just with the Reds club, but throughout baseball. And unless we've got hitters that are focused on hitting line drives and, and putting in, putting the ball in play regularly and keeping the ball out of the air, if you're trying, if you're searching for the, for the lift on the ball and trying to hit the ball into the air, you're, you're really making easy outs. Now, yeah, got, some guys are going to hit home runs, but, not every guy is going to hit home runs. And I think we've got every single player that shows up in a big league uniform chasing 25 homers. And that's just not going to happen. You can look at the statistics. They'll tell you all day. There's certain guys that are big enough and strong enough to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And those are the guys that maybe should, should chase those bigger numbers home run wise. But if you're not a home run hitter, why the heck would you try to be one? Isn't that crazy how our our game has completely changed? I mean, think about when you played to where we are today. It's just everybody wants to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And, um, yeah, not everybody's equipped to do that. No, I, I think that what, what we're seeing is guys that, guys that have the ability to foul the ball off and, and make an extended at bat will, will get a mistake every once in a while. But I, I think that – we're still in a transition, not just from a physical standpoint, but from a game planning standpoint on how to get guys on base at the top of your order. Uh, there was no doubt that, that Cincinnati hit a lot of home runs last year, but there were a lot of solo home runs. And, and I think when you're hitting the ball out of the ballpark, uh, if, you're, if you're David Bell, our manager, you'd sure rather see a two or three run home run. That gives you a little bit of hedge as the game moves on. We didn't have a whole lot of those. So what kind of odds do you give the Cincinnati Reds this year in the Central? Because you're seeing quite a few of the teams in your division who look like they're, they're, they're in rebuild mode. Well, I, I think the division is wide open. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I, don't, I don't really buy into the fact that, that losing Trevor Bauer and Rysel Iglesias is going to be the downfall of this ball club. I, I don't buy that. I think this club is going to hit much better than what they did last year. I think this is this Cincinnati Reds club of 2021 is going to be more like 
the team that we saw at, at the end of September that had that drive getting into the playoffs than the one that we saw in August that didn't hit and was having a very difficult time scoring runs. I just think it's a better team offensively. I think that that 60-game season, it, it took a while for some of these veterans to get rolling, especially being with, with a new ball club and being new to Cincinnati. Uh, and even a player that was new to the big leagues in Shogo Akiyama. I just think that this is going to be a closer-knit club. I think they're going to play better baseball. And I believe in Derek Johnson, the guy that, that's our pitching coach here. I really believe in, in what the Reds are doing from a developing of the pitching standpoint, and I think we're going to see some stars rise quickly. Yeah, he's got a great relationship, obviously, with Sonny Gray. And, you know, we love Sonny. Sonny was a terrific Oakland athletic. How great has it been seeing Sonny Gray getting back to being Sonny Gray? Because what we saw when we traded him to New York, he just wasn't the same guy. He's back to having that stuff that is absolutely electric. Yeah, I think when you watch Sonny pitch, there's a there's an emotion and a, and a chip on the shoulder that, that he takes out there every time. And it's awfully hard to have that chip and have that adrenaline going when, when your elbow's barking and you're trying to pitch through it. And I think now that, that Sonny is healthy, and we saw that really last year except for the last couple of starts, um, he's, been a, he's been a great Cincinnati rep. And every time he takes the ball, you can see a little bit of lift in the step of the players that head out and, and the people that are at the ballpark, at least in 2019. And it's fun to watch. I mean, he's, he's taking on a veteran leadership capability of this Cincinnati Red staff. And I think about Cincinnati as a baseball town. It's such a great baseball town. And it's like, it's like one of those, Jeff, like when, when the Cincinnati Reds are good, it's better for baseball. Yeah, it's better for baseball. It's really better for Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I think that you look back at at this, at this organization and and you look at the the clubs in the seventies when they were winning world series or they were world series contenders every year. You look back at the Barry Larkin led 1990 Reds. Um, I I think that's just what people expect. They, They don't expect you to just get to the playoffs or show up in the playoffs. They expect you to win. And I think for any player, that that's the kind of people that you want to play behind. You want to go out there and you want to expect the best of yourself and expect to get into the postseason and win. You know, the one thing that, that we talk about with our audience all the time and everybody wants to talk about these high leverage innings, I still talk about those last three outs in the ninth inning, the finality of getting those final three outs. I mean, obviously, you know, what you did with the San Francisco Giants for years – and being a closer, we can talk about high leverage innings, but the bottom line is getting those final three outs in the ninth inning. Speak to that as a former closer and all-star closer. It's not easy. Those are the toughest three outs. No matter what people want to say about high leverage innings, those are still the toughest outs to get in baseball. Well, they, they are. And I think the, the biggest key to, to pitching in that situation is not always about your, your physical tools. It's not always about having the great slider on that day or having the great fastball. What I think it is more than anything else is, is being mentally prepared and accepting nothing but success on that day from a mental standpoint. I, I think if you're going to close ball games, there are going to be times that you're asked to go out there where you, you don't have a slider, you don't have a fastball, your changeup stinks, and you still have to get three outs, and, and you've got murderers row three, four, and five coming to the plate. And I think on those days, 
it, it's it's a battle of mental wills. And, and I think the, the guys that are the strongest from the neck up are usually the greatest closers. Yeah, I got to think, coming to the ballpark every day, knowing that that's your situation, that you're going to be in at the, at, the, at the end of the game. I mean, you got hours to be at the ballpark. I, I don't think people really realize all the preparation that goes in for really just being at the end of the game. Well, I, I think that there are a lot of people that look at it from a standpoint of you're just getting three out. I mean, how big a deal can that be? I think that's how people look at it a lot of times. But it's it's not the three outs that you're getting. It's it's the pressure that surrounds that situation. Whether you put it on yourself or whether the team puts it on you or the opposition puts pressure on you in that situation, it's still the finality of the moment. And a lot of guys just can't handle that. Well, it's great to hear your voice. And, and I'm so glad that uh, our, our, our broadcasters are back calling games because – God knows this, even though it hasn't been the longest offseason, it feels like it's been the longest offseason. It's great to have you on the program. Good luck to you guys, and let's talk later in the year. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Eno, how are you? It's been a while. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you. Good to hear from you, I mean. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, it's been so odd, Eno, that, you know, people that used to see each other all the time, we haven't seen each other in over a year. It's just, I can't, I can't wait to get out to the ballpark and and have baseball and our lives return to normal. Yeah, I actually, I saw uh, Dallas and Vince once last year and it was because I had gone the wrong direction and was in the press box and was not supposed to be there. (laughs) (laughs) So you were delving into the over and unders. Why, why, why do you think the A's are an under? Well, I didn't. I didn't pick them as an under. Uh, they were just. Uh, that's what the projections uh, were saying. The projections are lower on them than uh, than Vegas, I think. And um, I don't know. I, I I would figure it's losing Liam, losing Marcus, um, and uh, they think that the ins are less than the outs. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I, I can tell you why they would outperform their projections if they do. It's got to be because of young people stepping up. Uh, so it's got to be, you know, if somebody like Nick Allen steps forward um, or Sean Murphy, I think, has a lot left uh, in him in terms of improvement. Matt Olson can bounce back. Uh, there's, some, there's definitely things that can go, that can happen in the positive direction. You know, I'm not allowed to gamble uh, on baseball, but if I was, I'm going the under on the Astros. I think for the first time, you know, they're going to have to finally, even though it's only 25%, they're for the first time going to, in their face, be called cheaters. And we know for a fact that those guys were down. They were having troubles with it last spring training, right before COVID shut everything down. I I just think for the first time, and even, you know, these other Astros who had nothing to do with it, they're going to have to face it too. I just, I don't know. Tell me how, I, I know I think you have them as the over, but uh, for the first time, they're going to have to answer. They're going to have to answer the questions and they're going to have to answer the fans. How do you feel they, how do you think they deal with it? That's uh, really interesting uh, to, to, to kind of think back to pre-COVID. It's kind of hard, but I do remember they were getting beamed uh, in spring training. They were having to answer questions from the media before and after games about it. Um, they were sniping between the Dodgers and the Astros. 
Um, you know, it was definitely something that took up their energy, and that's energy that's not spent thinking about the game and getting better at the game. The reason I took them as an over was because what you're talking about, the, the new players, the, the young rotation that has come up, uh, you know, since, since 2017. They're all new um, in terms of Arkiti and uh, Fran Bravaldes and uh, Christian Javier. Those guys, they're, they're new to all of this. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how it will affect them. They'll probably just say, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Correa's still there. Reglan's still there. Brantley's still there. Uh, and you're right. They're going to have to deal with uh, more media about this and uh, more fans, particularly. It's going to be it's going to be draining on them. I hadn't necessarily thought about it in that context. Well, you, you did an article which, you know, everybody's kind of been talking about. And it's what pitchers are doing with the baseball. And you open up this article and your first line is your favorite pitcher is probably cheating. <laughs> so tell me, what are all these, what are they actually doing to get better grip on the baseball? Well, at this point, you know, it used to be pine tar and that's been in the game forever. Um, but, um, you know, now that we have these Rapsodo machines, these, you know, these editronic video cameras, all this uh, tech, uh, pitchers are finding out that they can find their own mixture that works with their hand and their pitches best because they can put some goop on their hand, throw it, check the track man, see how many, how many RPM they got on the ball and see what kind of movement they got. And so what you're finding is, um, and I know this for a fact about, you know, some of the like most recent Cy Young, some of the best pitchers in the game have their own proprietary blend where they're boiling down Coca-Cola and they're taking you know, hairspray or, or, or gel, and, and they're throwing that in there. Then they're putting some pine tar in, and they're, they're boiling it all down. In fact, the only, you know, baseball said, we're going to crack down on this, and the only person they busted was a clubby in the Angels clubhouse that um, had, a, had a good blend that everybody knew about. And when they came to town, he would sell them, uh, you know, his proprietary blend. Uh, and, and, you know, he'd been, he'd been developing that over years. So baseball tried to crack down on this, and they caught one clubby, and that's it. And uh, but but by my sources, 75 to 80 percent plus are, are have something on their fingers. And the guys who don't have something on their fingers are low spin guys trying to throw sinkers. They don't want to have uh, pine tar on their fingers. Well, th- this really bothers me, and, and I'll get to it in a minute. But I- I'll tell you, wink, wink. Uh, I've also heard that bullfrog sunscreen is pretty good. And, and that's why that's a really good one, because that's why we can't crack down on it. It's against the rules. But if somebody just has a bunch of sunscreen on, what are you going to do? Unless it's the dome, you're going to be like, that's too much sunscreen. Like you can't. <laughs> and sunscreen plus rosin is, is that's the that's the ticket. And you've already given them rosin. So, um, you know, it is something where you could say, OK, not a big deal. Been around forever. I don't care that it actually gives pitchers on the order of 200 rpm uh when they use it it gives them movement uh it gives them uh crazier breaking balls but let's say it's been the game forever it's bullfrog i can't do anything about it uh the problem is it's a rule on the on the books and that means that at any moment a a manager could decide this game is so big games world series game seven i don't care what the ramifications are i don't care if they beat me next spring bring all my players next spring i want to win this game I'm going to get their ace out because I, I know he's got pine tar on. Well, what bugs me about this, Eno, 
is the fact that hitters can have batting gloves. Hitters can have pine tar on their bat. Hitters can have armor on their elbows, on their ankles. Why can't pitchers use pine tar? Because there's some hitters will tell you, if a guy's up there throwing 100 miles an hour, I want him to have better control. That makes me safer in the box. I don't understand why this is so illegal. Hitters can use it, but pitchers can't. I, I just think that's weak. Uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, the one thing I would say is hit by pitches across the league are at an all-time high in the history of baseball. Really? So if they're all using, yeah, they're all using this to not hit pitch, hitters, but that's not working. Um, but uh, they're also throwing high in the zone uh, more than they have maybe at least recently. And so maybe high in the zone, they're hitting more elbows. Maybe it's actually, maybe they're hitting more batters because they have body armor on and they're pitching high in the zone and the hitters are crowding the plate. So it's actually, it's not super easy to tease this all out. But I would say this, um, I, I, I had driveline, check this out. They sprayed bats with pine tar because some people were spraying bats with pine tar looking to, you know, get an advantage. It didn't really do anything. Uh, pine tar on the handle helps your grip, but it doesn't help you hit the ball farther. Um, what pine tar for pitchers does, it helps them spin the ball more, which changes movement. So it's helping them be better. It's not just, it's not just uh, body armor or, or grip or whatever. It's helping them be better. It's, it's, it's cheating. You know, it's, 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 you know, one of the people I quoted in my piece said it's better than steroids. It, 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 I, I did some research, and it, it changed Michael Pineda's fastball into Trevor Bauer's fastball. If, if you just gave a guy, if you just gave a guy grip, you, you know, it was. I guess it was a couple of years ago. I remember reading an article that they were gonna try a tackier ball down in the minor leagues. Do you remember that? And whatever happened to that? Yeah, they have been trying that. They have been trying it, and the players hate it. <laughs> I mean, they, they tried it in the Indy League, um, and the Indy League players said that uh, it didn't go as far. It didn't have a, you know, it wasn't as, as juiced as like the Major League ball. And so I think, I think that's actually the major problem is that, you know, I reported uh, with Ken Rosenthal this spring that baseball has decided to deaden the ball. Yeah. Now we're talking about, you know, four or five times in the last five years the ball has changed. If they change it again to something tacky and it totally – you know, takes all the homers out of the game, we could have a real crisis on our hands. So I think that they are trying different solutions. My guess is they're going to they're gonna approve something. Um, like, you know, I don't know, if you, if you play softball, there's an approved substance in, in, in competitive softball um, that's just basically pine tar grip. Um, and they're going to approve it. And once they approve it, then people will have all sorts of grips. They won't only have the approved substance, but it'll just basically be saying, Okay, fine. We give up. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, the baseball to me is a fascinating thing because we, in other sports, we don't question the basketball or the puck and hockey. <laughs> right. uh, only, yeah. only, only, only Tom Brady and deflated footballs, and we know what a mess that was. I mean, the fact that we don't know what the ball is in Major League Baseball, is it a juice ball, is it a smaller ball, are the seams different? We're now going to make the ball not go as far. It's just crazy that we talk about this equipment when, when you think, like, how hard is it to make baseballs? I, it's crazy. And you know what's even crazier? Baseball owns Rawlings. Yeah. <laughs> baseball owns the company that makes the balls. In our reporting, 
at some point they said that baseball that Rawlings came to them with a new way to, to manufacture the ball, and they had to tell Rawlings, "Don't put those into games until we test it." Well, that's kind of crazy to me. Aren't you Rawlings? <laughs> you know, you're telling yourself not to use them. So um, all of it is a little bit weird, but the, the upshot is they're making a few small changes. And when, when I tell you that it's going to go one foot less far, one to two feet less far on a 375-foot homer, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it might reduce homers about 5% this year. Okay, then, then here's an honest question. We're seeing balls fly out of the ballpark already in spring training. We know the lighter air in Arizona. That's how it works. Are we using the new ball, or are we still using the juice ball? What are they using in spring training? I don't know, man. I, I've been trying to. I've been trying to get a, a straight answer. But as far as I can tell, the the new ball has been approved for what's called the championship season, and my understanding is that's the regular season. So this spring, I think they're going through all the leftover balls that they had before because. During a season, they, they make a lot of balls. Like for the postseason, they make a lot of balls for every team that could make the postseason. And then the ones that don't go far or don't make the postseason, they have extra balls. So I, I think that they're going through 2020 balls right now. And when 2021 season officially starts, that's when we'll get the new ball. Which is crazy, too, because that means pitchers are going to have on opening day be like, what is this, what is this ball? Well, we, we, we had pitchers tell us, you know, that this, the baseball is different. Like these guys. They throw, think it is already. They, yeah. They, 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 the last couple of years, they would look at you and go, this ball is different. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Guys do for a living. And it's just, it's crazy that we're having this conversation. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely changing. And, you know, baseball's official line was always, oh, it's just changing within the specifications. It's just. Rawlings trying to optimize to be more efficient and blah blah blah. Even this time they told us this is to, to be efficient. However, they admitted they're deadening the ball. They could be efficient around any mean. They could decide we want the ball to look like this and be efficient around that. Uh, but they decided they wanted to deaden the ball. So I think it'll be a little bit like 2017, uh, not quite like 2019 when we broke all the home run records. So uh, a little bit, little bit better than the last couple of years, but not like 2014 or anything. Well, I just wonder, you know, Cody and I always bring it up when Max Muncy in the playoffs a couple of years ago thought he got one, and then the outfielder standing there at the warning track. I wonder how many times we're going to see that if the ball is deadened at the start of this season. Guys think they got a home run. And they're going into that trot, and there's the outfielder standing there at the wall catching the ball. Yeah, if anybody wants to like be ready for it, I would look for opposite field because, you know, when you when you yank one, you when you pull a homer, you usually get more distance on it. But those you used to get those opposite fields. You know, oh, that's a can of corn, and then oh man, it just kept going. So I think I think uh, the opposite field, uh, that's where you're going to see the balls fall short. All right, I always have to ask you about beer. Uh, we're heading into spring. What's in the fridge for you now? Well, I've got. Uh, I'm working on a collaboration with a brewery. It's going to be fun, uh, a baseball-themed uh, beer, and it's going to be. Uh, uh, I think it's probably going to be like a four to five percent alcohol. That's that's for me. Uh, that's the wheelhouse. That's spring. That's summer. That's I can have two or three of these and still function. You know, that's uh, that's where I'm looking. I, 
Cellar Maker makes uh, some hazy pale ales that are sort of four to five percent. Uh, there's a beer called Easy Jack that's uh, uh, from Firestone Walker. Those are those are the beers of spring and summer to me. Yeah, I like how you do that. You switch it up throughout the year and the seasons. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just finished all the stouts in my fridge. Just, winter is done. Well, it, you know, truly one of the best things you've ever bought was your beer fridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's always great talking to you. We miss seeing you. Hopefully we'll be able to see you at the ballpark at some point soon. But uh, be well and be safe, my friend. Yes, yes. Thanks for having me. Here is Jesse Rogers from ESPN. It's been a while. How have, have you been? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, I, I uh, did a week in Florida for spring training. I'm going to do a week in Arizona next. So um, it feels like baseball when you're at the park instead of Zooming from home. So um I, I like i like being at the park and that's what i'll get to do next week yeah i mean cody and i we, we talk about it on the show all the time the last game that we went to was the wild card game against tampa it's been well over a year just how does it feel to go to baseball games what's it like down there in florida yeah, well, I did get to go to games last year, obviously without fans, but I, and I did cover the World Series with fans, so that was nice. Um, it, it's still a little strange because your, the protocols prevent you from going places and, and talking to players for the most part one-on-one. Um, what's strange as a reporter covering uh, spring training is every team has different policies, and I mean they are a wide range of policies. policies. Um, some teams you can't get anywhere near practice and players, other teams like the Phillies, you're able to be up close and interview them and, and watch bullpens and all that stuff. So it, it's been a little strange just navigating the different policies and protocols for each team. And I expect the same when I go to Arizona next week. Yeah, I, it, 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 it's weird that there isn't just one set of rules, yes. um, but yes. but they, 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 they're not traveling as much in Florida as they normally do. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. They're staying on the west side and they're staying on the east side. I did go to both. And so it was, you know, talking to, to personnel from both sides. They were very happy they didn't have to make that three hour trip across the state. So that's the good news there. They'll keep it local. They'll get their 28 games in or whatever, whatever the number is. And uh, it, it, it seems pretty safe these days. I mean, Florida is pretty open, has been for a while. And, um, you know, I think Arizona is kind of headed in the right direction as well. Yeah, we're even opening up, and we've, we've announced today that we're actually going to have fans in the ballpark, and I think that's going to be so good for so many people. And, and, and you know you know who's showing the most appreciation for fans? For us, it's been the players. I mean, they really understand how much the fans mean to them. Have you talked to guys about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, Javi Baez basically blames his, his 200-hitting season on – the fact that he got no energy from the fans. Now, I think some of it's a little overblown, but look, players going to use whatever they can to, to sort of, um, you know, feel good about themselves. And after last year, if you had a bad year, you could find plenty of reasons why it happened. Um, lack of fans, lack of in-game video. But in general, they all feel uh, the energy from the fans. And the other thing is, the, the, uh, the ancillary thing is that, everybody hears everything and you're so used to yelling in the dugout and all that stuff. And just, you know, you just yell to yell, but nobody pays attention. Where now everybody or last year, everybody was, you know, would look at you if you yelled something. So it's a very strange feeling to hear everything at a ballpark, I think for the players. 
So they just want to get back to the buzz. You know, that, that, that yeah, we asked them, well, how can they perform with, with the fans at 30,000 screaming? It's easy for them because it's just a buzz. It's just out. It's just background noise for them. It's it, they don't hear anything. And, and now it was even harder or until now it was harder because they heard everything. So it's weird. You can perform maybe better with uh, 30,000 than you can with 30, you know, in front of you. So in the stands or whatever. So, I think that's the, the whole thing. They're just so used to having that buzz in the background. It's just easier to perform. I know it's really, really early, but, you know, we love Tony La Russa. How has the start been for him with the Chicago White Sox? I think it's been great, and I had my doubts like everyone else, but I think it's been great. Um, I think he's taken the exact right tone. You would not know he's the third winningest manager of all time by the way he's talking and acting and everything. It's, he did not come in here with an attitude or an ego Nothing like I know it all. Nothing like that. He he is trying to earn the respect of these young players, and certainly the the you know re re earn the respect of Chicago because we had him first, right, back yeah. in the early '80s, late '70s, actually. So um, he's been great. I like everything he's been saying, uh, and, and the biggest thing, most importantly, is that he has not been um, sort of oozing this. Uh, we got this sort of thing because we're the White Sox and we have all this talent. He's been stressing, you haven't won anything yet. And I think it's important because I think the fan base is really getting ahead of themselves after what happened in 2020. Um, I heard someone today talking about, oh, we want to run like um, like the, the Chicago Blackhawks had three championships in five years. Like, get one first. You know, get one first. It's hard to win a World Series, even if you're a good team. You guys know that over these last few years. So, uh, has been great. I think he's been perfect for this team, even though it, it didn't feel that way when they hired him. You know, we said on this program, you know, a lot of people forget this guy's managed some of the biggest egos that have ever been in the game. When you've managed Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Dennis Eckersley, Dave Parker, I mean, and on and on from McGuire, Pujols. I mean, yep. he's he he is he's managed some of the biggest uh, egos in the game. So I, I I always thought Tony was going to do well. You know, going to the north side, who are the Cubs going to be in twenty twenty one? Sellers, they're going to be a sellers. That's what they're going to be. They hope that teams line up. They're going to have fourteen or fifteen, something like that, free agents at the end of this season that will make their opening day roster if all holds. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's tough uh, to navigate those waters as a manager if you're thinking you're going to win. Now, I'm sure David Ross is thinking he's going to win because that's how managers and people in uniform think. But the executives um, upstairs are, are, are thinking about 22, 2022, and 2023. They will be sellers, uh, barring something crazy, and that would be you know solidly in first place because you can't sell at that point. But if they're three games out, July 30th, they're selling. And they may even sell before that. They may sell early enough that it takes the drama out of it because if they're three games out on July 30th, fans go nuts if they sell. But if they move Chris Bryant on July 5th, well, you don't, you don't know where you're going to be July 30th on July 5th. So they're going to sell, and they're going to sell as early as they can unless something crazy happens where they just look like you know, gangbusters out there, which they, they won't. They, they don't have the pitching depth to, to be a 90- you know, or 100-win team. You know, somebody's floated the idea out there that you you trade Chris Bryant and then try and sign him back. And I think of the whole service manipulation. I, I got to you tell me you're closer to it. If Chris Bryant leaves, is there any way he would come back? No, no, 
Now, I say that without knowing if the Cubs open the vault, okay, but that, there's no plan in place for that to happen. I mean, uh, if they trade him, he's going to be uh, he's going to look at the 29 other teams, and I don't know. I mean, there's there's no plan where they trade him and then bring him back. Nothing like that is in is in is is in place. So that would be the shocker of all shockers. Um, I don't think that's going to happen with any of their free agents. They're going to trade him and let him go. The guys they they want to keep, they're going to resign now or soon. Um, that's what they prefer. They don't want to compete with 29 other teams. If they like a guy, you would get him now. Um, if you trade Chris Bryant on July 30th, you're not getting a grade A prospect for two months. You're just not. And so uh, if your plan is to re-sign him, you're taking a big chance by letting him go. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, that would be uh, that would be the biggest shock of the season for me if they, if they traded him and then re-signed him. You know, a, a, a lot of things right now are not going the owner's way, and especially what happened in Seattle. Uh, but you start looking around the CBA, and if you're the players' union, you're looking at Chicago doesn't want to be big spenders, Boston, San Francisco. I mean, some big market teams are just not trying. Wouldn't you say that's just a bad look for Major League Baseball and, and, and owners? Well, we've been saying that for years now. I mean, the biggest gripe players have, the number one biggest gripe is exactly that. There's way too many teams in these rebuilding modes. And yes, when they come out of the rebuild, they're ready to spend. But that happens, what, once every five years for these teams, right? And then maybe they spend for two or three years in a row, and then they go backwards. Um, but during that cycle, there's about, I don't know, about 15 teams that are, are at the bottom of that cycle or or in the middle of it. So they're not spending. That's the biggest gripe. This whole idea that not every team is trying every season. I don't know how they're going to address it in the CBA, but they're certainly going to try to, and uh, that'll be the number one thing. And then everything will play off of that. You know, looking out West here, uh, evaluate how you saw the A's off season. And then with like a week and a half before spring training, a flurry of moves where they fill most of their holes. So what were your thoughts about the A's early in the off season and where they are now? Well, my feeling is that anybody that, that only did things late did it for two reasons. One, they wanted to wait out the market and, and let these free agents sweat, 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 and then sign them at a, at a cheaper deal or for a minor league invite. The other reason is, and I've seen this with several teams is that um, they didn't know their budgets. Um, they didn't care to know their budgets until late uh, or as late as possible because they didn't know about fans in the stands. They didn't know about corporate sponsorships. They didn't know if they're going to play 162. So they waited it all out. I don't know which category Oakland falls in, maybe both. Um, but it was kind of a quiet offseason. Uh, you know, I, I think that division's a little down when, in some ways. It, there's there's parity there, right? I mean, I, I you know, the Angels are still nothing special. Houston's taken a little dip. They certainly did in the, in the regular season last year. I, I mean, I still like the A's, but they didn't get considerably better, right? Um, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, who exactly is the world beaters out there, but um, it seems like the powerhouse teams are now lined up in the National League. Uh, you know, the Yankees might be. The Yankees certainly might be. The Central Division is kind of still finding, you know, who's the best team. The White Sox certainly are going to be there. Cleveland is depleted a little bit. So the A's, you know, might be as good as anybody just because nobody really got considerably better. So, I, I mean, I, I like that A's team, but it's not like they, they went hog wild. Um, they certainly addressed some needs late, though. I will, I will say that. They certainly addressed some needs, Nate, some, some, some needs late. 
Um, and we'll see if it pays off. I know Mitch Moreland was a guy waiting out, for example, uh, the National League DH situation. That didn't come fruition. So he kind of, you know, comes to Oakland with his tail between his legs a little bit. Um, there's a few guys that may have a chip on their shoulder that, that came in late that, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, you know, you trade Liam Hendricks for Trevor Rosenthal, basically. That's not an advancement, right? Um, you know, Romo, Pettit, I, I, I like these deals, uh, but I don't love them. I don't love them. But in that division with that team and, and the way things have gone, I, I still think Oakland's a force. I, I, don't, I don't deny that at all. Yeah, I, I, at some point, I think every team is going to have fans back. And let's end on this. How do you think that will finally – how will that finally get to the Houston Astros now that the fans will be back in the stands? How do you see that playing out? I, I, I see it playing out like this. Fans have long memories. And – they, they're always looking for, for some reason to boo or get on the opponent. And this is not five years later. This is one year later. So I, I think it's, it's going to certainly be hurt in those NL West play, AL, AL West places, sorry, like Oakland, certainly when, you know, the Dodgers, you know, that whole thing. Absolutely, they're going to hear it. Absolutely. Will it be in every park like it would have been if, if we had a full seat? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe, it'll, you know, some fan bases, eh, okay, whatever. Um, but I, I think some of the, those AOS ones will certainly remember and, and they will hear it. They will hear it. Now you're only hearing to hear it from, you know, uh, 10,000 instead of 30,000. But as we were saying before, you can, sometimes you can hear more with less people in there. So um, that fan that's in the outfield and he's the only guy in that section, you're going to hear him if you're the Astros bullpen. So I think they're going to hear it. It'll be interesting to see though, and hear the, 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 the reduced crowds that give it to them. But you know, fans don't need a lot to, to boo the opponent, and they certainly have not been able to do that with, with the Astros yet. We always appreciate the time. Great stuff, and, and enjoy Arizona. <laughs> Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. The man who owned Hall of Fame pitchers, whether it was Noel Ryan, Don Sutton, he ate Hall of Fame pitchers alive. The great Raymond Fossey. Ray, how are you? I'm doing great, Tommy. Thank you. Oh, by the way, I caught a great Hall of Famer as well in Gaylord Perry. Uh, I'd rather catch him than face him. So, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a thrill. And, of course, uh, the late Catfish Hunter at the great pitching staff at the Athletics, but some great pitchers that I know I'm facing them in 1972. If I had stayed with the Cleveland Indians, I could not have had enough baseball bats when I faced Vita Blue because, and John Blue Moon Odom, they just saw my bat off. I, I was happy to be able to catch those guys. But uh, listen, I, I've got a little business to attend to prior to us getting started. All right. You're Ray Fossey. Go ahead. Well, number one, Tana, you're going to have to redo your spot because I think someone told me that in restaurant dining is open up now. Uh, I, I, I'm only for sure about that in Santa Clara County. I'm not okay. sure in Costa Rica. I, I got to look that up. Okay. But I know that you'll be on top of it, that when the chicken pie shop on Walnut Creek decides to allow people to come into their wonderful restaurant, you will be able to talk about that. Now, the most important thing, 
And you guys are talking about the games. We're doing home games. And obviously today the game, you know, we, we may have shown up uh, over some home games at our home park in Mesa. So we know we can be there and there's no problem. So having said that, next Wednesday, Cody, the master commander, we have a ball game. So I'm not going to be available at um, 2.30 because I'm going to be in the middle of a game. So what are we going to do? Well, Foss, for you. Sorry, Ray. I don't, I don't want to push buttons. Uh, <laughs> I'll say 4.30 next Wednesday. How's that work? So 5.30 for you. Actually, when does the time change happen? Is it this weekend or next weekend? No, no, not for a couple of weeks. Okay. So, so we, we've got uh, – yeah, uh, not that you're right. The, the weekend of the 14th, I think. So – so that, I know I spur of the moment for you, but that's that's the way we're going to handle it. Yeah, we'll we'll do it for that. You'll be our first guest after the game's over, and we come on the air at four o'clock. You'll be our four thirty. You'll be guest. all warmed up, Ray. But you just said you just said five thirty. Well, five thirty for you. Five thirty for you. Four thirty for us. But you come on at four o'clock. Four o'clock. Right? Five o'clock for you. Four four for us. So now I'm on. A, you're saying five. You said five thirty before. Yeah, you'll be on at five thirty your time. Four thirty ours. <laughs> Just get the time change through, and we'll be we'll be completely fine. In your career, when you face pitchers that you caught, I mean, obviously you know these guys up and down. Did you feel like that was an advantage for you to know the pitchers or the, or the hitters? No, or so if you're if you're facing a guy you played with, right? So you oh, face oh, Jay Porter. You face catfish or whoever you face. Did you feel like you had an advantage because you no, knew no. them so well? No. And I'll tell you a great story about Catfish Hunter. When Catfish left the A's to go to the Yankees and we faced him for the first time, all the players, we all got together and said, you know, Catfish doesn't like to pitch inside. So, you know, look outside and, you know, Catfish could paint. I mean, he, he was a great control artist and he paint the outside part of the plate and Smart catcher, I, I, I put it this way, a catcher, because I don't want to put myself in that category, but, you know, move six inches off the plate. And I know the umpire would say, well, he hit the target, so that's a strike. And so why pitch inside if that's the case? So what happens? Catfish faces the athletics. Campy's up. He's looking outside. Bam, inside. And we're going, what the heck? And Catfish looks in the dugout and goes, be careful, guys. Be careful. And so that really changes it right from the beginning. Because, you know, we all thought we had Catfish figured out, but Catfish definitely was not going to uh, let us figure him out. But, you know, I, I remember facing Gaylord Perry in the All-Star game in 1970 before I was fortunate to catch him in 72. But if, if you can believe this, I actually went to the plate at Riverfront Stadium facing Gaylord thinking he's going to throw me that pitch, that specialty pitch, and I'm going to hit it. How stupid was I? Because you can't hit it anyway, and if you're looking for it, because it comes in, and then the I guess gravity just disappears. And so, uh, but but I I think I think more than anything, Townie, that a catcher, if he can't hit a certain pitch, that's the pitch he calls when he's behind the plate. It it makes no difference. Well, and nowadays where there's scattering ports and all that, but but he, even now I think there are situations where, uh, let's say Gary Sanchez can't hit a slider to the part of the plate that he's gonna call sliders because he figures if I can't hit it nobody else can hit it and so I that's the pitch I'm going to call but but I think there's more of that than than the hitters thinking that yeah I know this guy and you know you say about facing him in a batting practice but you know like like uh, 
uh, Emo was talking about AJ Puck facing live hitters. You know, you face a guy, but you never think about being in the opposite dugout and having an idea of what he throws. That's where the scouting report comes in. That's where uh, Adam Roden does a tremendous job as a video coordinator. Darren Bush does a great job telling these guys what they what the opposing pitcher throws. And that's kind of what you look for when you go to the plate. But inevitably, you, you, I've seen catchers do that, Tony, where, where if they can't hit a pitch, they'll call it more times than not. You know, I had a great discussion last night working out with uh, a, a, a guy at our club, and we were talking. He was talking about a video. Uh, you know, certain hitters, you know, they would move around in the box, Ray. They would move That's up, right. they'd move back, they'd move in. They 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 knew what the pitcher was. And now we got these guys in today's baseball that, you know, they just stay in the same spot and keep swinging and missing. And you're like, well, you know, if you've got a guy that, you know, is going to pound you on the outside part of the plate and he's going to put some sink on it, why not move up in the box and get up on the plate? Does today's hitting coaches need to kind of install that into hitters that you don't have to stay in the exact same spot every time and let these pitchers keep exploiting you? But I wanted my hitters to be able to get as far back as possible. And there's not often that an umpire is going to take a bat and measure the distance of which he can stand behind home plate. So that's something that I did. But, you know, Tony, the important thing is for a catcher to watch the feet of a hitter because that means it's, it's let's say, uh, I remember Manny Ramirez when he faced Barry Zito in, in, a, in a very crucial game for the entire series. He looked for pitch inside. He never got it. Now, if Ramon Hernandez had watched his feet and, and watched him look for that pitch inside, he probably would not have thrown him the fastball that he did that he had a three-run home run that helped the Red Sox defeat the A's in the division series. Because the time before, the that before this particular time, Manny struck out, his hips, his backside was heading towards the visiting or the home dugout in this case because it was the Coliseum. And so, I mean, I'm in the booth and I'm thinking, he's looking for a pitch inside. So the pitch is outside, he flails at it, he goes back to the dugout striking out. So the next time he comes up with a couple of runners on base, he opens up again, he gets the fastball inside, he gets a three-run home run, game over. And Ken Korak would say to me, Ray, don't you ever forget those things? I said, no, because that's where it's important for a catcher to look at the feet. You know, you'll see a catcher, and fans have watched games on television because you can see it more distinctly there. You watch the catcher, he's looking up at the hitter's eyes. Because there are hitters who will cheat, and they'll, they'll cheat where they kind of roll their eyes back. And I remember there was one time a particular Cleveland Indian did that, and I was working in the PR, and I had the TV monitor, and I called the Hayes dugout, and I told the hitting coach, I said, so-and-so, I won't say who it is, I said, so-and-so's cheating because he's watching out of the corner of his eye what the catcher is doing, location. And from a hitter standpoint, all you need to know is a location. Pitches, great, that's fine. But if you know the location of a particular pitch, then that's going to help you. But, but I think more than anything, if, if you watch the hitter's feet, he'll tell you what he's trying to do. And you don't, you don't have to look at his eyes. I'd look at the feet and see what he's doing. Because who cares about the eyes? Because I'm doing my job behind the plate so he can't look back. Because I, I would set up in the same spot every time. I wouldn't set up in the middle of the plate. If it's a right-handed hitter, I would always split the outside part of the plate 
left-handed hitter, split the outside part of the uh, outside part of the plate to a left-handed hitter. So I didn't have to move. There's too much movement today where you'll see a catcher behind the plate and he gives a sign and then you'll see him move left or right. Well, he's telling what pitch he's called. But if he sets up in one position and doesn't move as a hitter, forget it. You, you can't tell what he's doing or what he called because he is not moving. And that's why, again, I think catchers at times will tip pitches more than pitchers because of the movement. And I saw one catcher at one time that he would put his hand behind his back with a runner on base with a fastball because he figured the fastball was going to be true and it's going to be around the strike zone. But with a breaking ball, every time with a runner on base, he'd bring the hand around in front and put it behind his glove. So he's tipping the pitches. And, and, and I would sit up there and go, well, here comes the curveball. How do you know that? I said, well, you know, I have an idea. And, and so I was watching the catcher calling the pitches that way, not seeing the signs, but just watching what he did with his right hand. And that, those are the little things that, let's say, a, a catcher can do to hurt his pitcher if a hitter is paying attention. Now, Ray, if a hitter is actually looking back at location or your signs, is it really cheating? Uh, yes, I call for a drill. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, there's no letter to the law that says a hitter can't do that. No, he can't do it. Remember Phil Nevin? Uh, is he yeah. still coaching third for, for the Yankees? Phil Nevin was the first hitter coming out of whatever college he went to Fullerton. that I saw, I saw wearing sunglasses. You think about a, a hitter wearing sunglasses, he can do whatever he wants to with his eyes because you can't see. You can't see his eyes. But if, if I saw a, a hitter, or, or I remember when I was playing for Cleveland way back when, I, when Reggie and they had that outstanding lineup with the Modesto A's, and I was playing for the Reno Silver Sox, and Ray Miller, former pitching coach and hit pitcher and manager, and, and we had this 23-inning game that I was catching all of them, and uh, Ray's on the mound, <laughs> and he said, he's looking at your signs. And I couldn't hear him. And I yelled, what'd you say? And he yelled, he's looking at your sign. I said, well, knock him down. And he goes, whoa. And Reggie steps out of the batter's box. No, 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 I'm not looking. I'm not looking. But you know what? As a catcher, if you see that happening, all you have to do is just stand up and tell him. Just say, I don't know what you're doing, but your head's moving a lot. Or it's runner, the runner second base is, is doing something out of the ordinary which means that, you know, you're, you, they're doing something that they're passing signs on to the hitter. But if a hitter looks back, it, it especially if a hitter, and, you know, in, in television, we get close-ups of these, uh, of these hitters and their, their faces, and you can see, instead of the eyes looking at the pitcher, those eyes are going back to the catcher. Well, he's looking for location. And, um, you know, that, that's, again, maybe the catcher can't see it, or maybe in that case he could see it. But you just simply tell him, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing some funny, funny things. But, uh, you know, my picture's a little bit wild. I'm going to call a pitch inside. I don't know where it's going to go. So, you know, just be careful. <laughs> you know, that stuff, it stops everything. It's amazing what it would do. Speaking of the Modesto A's, one of the first games I ever called in minor league baseball uh, was, was against, I was doing the San Jose Giants, and it was against the Modesto A's. Miguel Tejada was there. They just built a new ballpark. But they, they, you think about the history of the A's with Modesto. It's pretty amazing all the guys that played there. Well, you know what's great about it is that 
the proximity to the Coliseum. You could play, and, and I think one of the best things for a minor league team like the Modesto A's, that's, that's Class A, and I don't know how it's being adjusted now because I think the A's are in Stockton, and that's gonna, is that going to be high A um, in Stockton? And, um, and what, what are they doing for AAA? I, don't think high. I, I think they got re- – I, Cody, did, I don't even think they're – High I, A anymore. I, I think, think they're. They, I think they're lower than that. I think they're low A, and Lansing is the high A team now. Oh my! Well, I, I don't think there's been a lot of changes. But but you know, let's say when the A's, regardless of what classification, the nice thing when they have an off day, the manager can say, "Okay, guys, we're all going to go to the Coliseum to watch the A's big league team play." That's a thrill for those kids to be at A ball, and you talk about incentive to be able to go to the Coliseum and watch the big league team play in a big league park and say, man, this is where I want to be. I want to be here. That's a great, that is, that's the greatest motivation there is to be able to do that. And I, I think that's what makes it nice when you have your minor league teams in close proximity to your major league team, because that does allow those teams to do that. There's other reasons too. You know, when, when the AAA team was in Nashville, it was horrible for Mickey Morbido, the A's director of team travel. If they had to get a, a player to the big leagues, before they had the alternate sites and all those things. I mean, it was it was a problem for him to hurry up and get somebody there. Now, being in Las Vegas, it's, uh, you know, it's a short flight. And call Fran Ritten, say, hey, we need such and such. And who's who's doing the best? All right, get him here. Tell him he's coming to the big leagues. But, you know, Modesto, Stockton, at California League, which I really enjoyed playing at. Um, it, it was a bus league, but, but there were some good times there. And how new, is the, how new is the park of Modesto? Because I played back in the 60s when it was really old. They used to play Mamas and the Papas every every game before. <laughs> Those are big PA systems. <laughs> it was Monday, Monday. <laughs> it, it, uh, wow, what year was I doing it? It was like 19, uh, probably been around, around 97, 98. Yeah. They built the new ballpark. I mean, they built it. And they didn't even have a press box. I had to do the play-by-play from just down the left field line. Uh, but wow. I, now they've built it. I mean, oh, oh, you know, so many of the the California minor league teams, uh, they're bought, they're not new parks anymore, but they're they're really really nice. You know, Ray, I, yeah. we 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 were talking about it earlier, and it just it breaks my heart. I mean, if you think of when the minor league season ended Terrible. in two thousand nineteen. And yeah. to where we are today, that all these players have lost all this time in their careers is just sad. No, I agree with you. And I agree with what you said also between high school sports, college sports, and, and it's a trickle-down effect. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, and you think last year, and I remember, I think in one of our programs, we talked about the fact that no minor league baseball, and if you're a college baseball coach, and the, what, five rounds of the draft? And you've got players, instead of going out in the draft, coming back to play baseball in college. And so you've already recruited and got a bunch of guys coming in. And, man, and so, again, trickle down. But from the minor leaguer standpoint, I think that it's the alternate site, while it was great, there were some players there. And, again, I think I heard one of your shows you talking about it's, it's not so much of the young players like Soderstrom, who was just drafted last year, that's a chance for him to get, to be around some of the players that maybe are big leaguers or former big leaguers. And, uh, but I, I don't know if there was an, ever an opportunity for him to come to the big leagues, but it was a great experience for him to be able to play. And, but, but you start taking away, I thought first and foremost, even before the pandemic, 
you're going to take 42 teams in minor league baseball and eliminate them. Now, there are some who say with the analytics, you can determine when a guy, if a guy is going to make it or not. I said, come on, you know, uh, but you, 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 can't, you can't put analytics in a guy's heart and his stomach and how he performs, you know, and, and he's not going to sign professionally if he doesn't have the tools. And I think at minor league baseball, the scouts who are out there can watch a player and they can determine about how does he run the first base? How does he run on and off the field? You know, what is his attitude when he strikes out with the bases loaded? What does he throw his helmet, throw his bat in the dugout? You know, there's a lot of things that a scout can see from a minor league player standpoint that I think helps them as they advance through the minor league system and get to the big leagues. And you start eliminating all that, you're eliminating a lot. And I, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to recover. I hope it does. And I hope we can get back to some normalcy where, uh, you know, you have the minor league teams and players can play and, and play their full seasons. And some get uh, a bonus coming to the big leagues in September and, you know, all those good things that happen to minor league players. But uh, it, it's a big part of baseball. It has to be a big part of baseball because if you're going to excel as a major league team, you have to have a good farm system because God forbid something happens to a pitcher or a player and you have to start thinking about who can I trade for? I remember when Buddy Bell managed some of the, you know, it's unfortunate. He managed Kansas City, Detroit, and Colorado. And I think when he was managing, well, I think it was Detroit, maybe Kansas City, but, you know, they weren't doing anything. And then to me, that was a sad part about Buddy. He's such a great guy and a great manager. Never got a chance to manage a good ball club. But he said, we do not have the resources to go out and buy a player if we have somebody get hurt. That means we have to go to our minor league system, and that's important to build the minor league system to be able to call from those teams to have guys come to the big leagues. But if you have uh, the resources, and, and Roger Clemens, when he was with the Yankees, he said, under George Steinbrenner, he says, uh, we don't rebuild, we reload, because they had the money to do it. And you know, they're in the big market. But that's not true throughout baseball. And I think that's where it has a big effect on some of the teams that are playing. And I still don't believe you and say that teams aren't trying to win, but that's another story. Team, the teams are trying to win. It's the front offices are not trying to win. Like, like, hey, how about Major League? How about Major League? Wasn't that a good – I mean, just exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. They wanted to lose. They wanted to lose, but the players just kept winning. You know, and and uh, and uh, what uh, – not Field of Dreams, but uh, what, what was the one? Oh, geez. Um, Roy Hobbs, uh, the natural. Yeah. yeah. You know, the same thing, you know. Pops, Pops gets gets part of the cast itself, part of his club if they lose, and they're, they're trying to get guys to throw the game and lose and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you, I, I agree, you know, that, that maybe teams are trying to, but, you know, you cannot get players to take the field and say, okay, I'm going to miss this ball or I'm going to strike out with the bases loaded because every one of those players, they're playing for the future. And if they're doing things like that, that's not helping them in the future. And, uh, you know, that that's why, and again, I think you had someone on talking about draft choices. I, I've just never been a strong believer in, in a guy playing in high school and college baseball. I know my grandsons have wooden bats, and they're 9 and 13. I'm going, wow, that's pretty impressive. Because, you know, at least they get to swing and take batting practice with wooden bats. But you think, imagine drafting a player out of high school or college, and all they've ever used is an aluminum bat. And how the ball, like you said, I think last week, ping, the ball comes off the bat. You can't set them up. You can't pitch them inside because – they can get hit on the handle, and normally the wooden bat, you break the bat and you get the blooper or an infield ground ball out. With the aluminum bat, it's a line drive base hit to the outfield. 
So those are the things that I, I, I've always felt that Major League Baseball, professional baseball teams should supplement the minor leagues, pay for the bats, the wooden bats, so they get, uh, not the minor leagues, but the colleges, because minor leagues use wooden bats, but pay for the colleges wooden bats so they have an idea who they're drafting from the, from the player standpoint and really the pitchers as well, because then I think it'd be more true as far as who you're drafting as to whether those players can actually play at the professional level. You know, one of, the, one of the more fascinating interviews that we had was former A and former skipper of the uh, Astros, Bo Porter, where yeah. I asked him about it, where he said, yeah, I mean, I'm flying around with, with this group of players and I'm the leader and we're trying to win. And we knew Jeffrey Lunau did not want to win. He wanted all he cared about was draft picks. And I, I mean, yeah. what a tough situation that must be in any sport whether it's NBA or, or NFL, where you got guys yeah. who are trying, but you know that the front office is not, they're not having it. They're not about that. They're not about you right now. They're about the future. Well, in the case of what the Astros did, it helped them because their scouting department was pretty good to be able to draft Alex Bregman, um, Carlos Correa. And I think there are about three or four guys they drafted that in the big leagues, and now they got to pay them because they're so good. But, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great point. But, you know, I think about Jimmy Lefebvre when he managed the Seattle Mariners. I think the Mariners were something like 20 years from 1977 uh, without ever having a winning season. Never had a 500-plus season. They finally got to 500, and everybody's ecstatic. Jimmy Lefebvre got fired because the general manager said, well, we need somebody to take them to the next step. What? You just had a manager get you to 500 baseball, let them build on that because the players are confident in the manager and vice versa, and then you bring in somebody else. And I've, I always thought about that as something that I, I thought was really a disservice to Jimmy Lefevre because he was an outstanding hitting coach. Uh, hitting coach, he was, he was so much energy and a very, very good manager, and I'll never forget that happening, that, uh, okay, you did your job. We'll get somebody else to take us next level. And it never happened, and that's why – they're in such a mess now and, and perhaps why they haven't gone to postseason in 2001. Well, Ray, I got to tell you, it's been great hearing you guys do baseball again. I mean, we've missed it. And um, I, it, it's like a high school game. You're doing these seven inning games, Ray. Oh my goodness. I, you know, how, how about the, I, I'm doing the fourth and fifth and I, and Chad Pender walked on Monday <laughs> against Cincinnati. And I put down walk, and I looked down at first base, and Chad is there. And all of a sudden, he's going to the dugout. I said, well, got a pinch runner. And then I see Cincinnati leaving the field. I went, what? And I said, oh, that's right. That's one of the new rules because the Reds had a pitch warming up in the bullpen. And then the fifth inning, the same thing happened. So, as, as Vince Catronio said, I guess Tim Mee with the Hall of Fame is going to call you because your scorebook probably, I think the A's might have been the first team that had a team just walk off. Now, I don't know if Cody said that happened today uh, with the A's maybe or somebody. I don't know. But, but you know, it's just strange rules this spring in baseball. But, uh, you know, like I've always said, and I said last week, that this time of the year, if you have your normal number of players in camp, you have plenty of guys. Now, you were going to ask me about Ben McDonald. Did you decide not to? Yeah, I, I totally forgot. forgot. Yeah, what did what, you think of that Cal Ripken calling his pitches? I had Alvin Dark call every pitch for me in 1970. Every pitch. 
I got a crick in my neck looking the dugout. But that's a that's that's a manager. But I've never heard Don Sutton call his own pitches as a pitcher, but I've never heard of an infielder. But you know, Cal Ripken was so good. You know, he's a tall shortstop. And you know, he knew how to position players, hitters. So it's it's not surprising to me that if Ben McDonald was having a tough time, that Cal would say, Okay, throw this pitch because if, if I'm looking in and you're trying to throw a pitch a certain place, I have no idea. So it's going to be hard for me to play defense behind you. But, you know, I, I think that probably is the first I've ever heard in Major League Baseball where a shortstop – can you imagine being a pitcher and your catcher's looking right through you or over your shoulder <laughs> to an infielder? And, and here's a guy going through all these signs. I, I'm surprised that nobody caught on. Uh, but evidently it didn't happen. But, uh, you know, you just wouldn't think about looking at an infielder. They have all these things they go through anyway. And, you know, so if the pitcher's looking at the, at the catcher and the catcher can look out and remember, let's not forget that a catcher standing up could see every position without turning his head. So in the case of Chris Hoyles, looking at Ben McDonald, he could look at him, but also be able to see Cal Ripken Jr. over the shoulder of Ben McDonald telling him what to throw. I would have been upset as a catcher. I would have been upset because I took a lot of pride in knowing what my pitcher could do and what the hitter couldn't do. And I took a lot of pride in that. So I, I don't know that I would have ever had an infielder. Can you imagine Gaylord Perry <laughs> having an infielder tell him what to throw? <laughs> <I'm not laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so because Gaylord was the one who told me, Padna, I don't know these American League hitters, so you're going to have to help me out. And that's, you know, 24-game winner, Cy Young Award winner. I'm not saying I did it because he threw the ball, but uh, that was the first thing he said to me besides can you catch it. But that's another story. Anyway, right. it was uh, – I, I just I just can't believe uh, – but that's a great story with Ben McDonald. And obviously he talked about it, so you, you can't deny what he was talking about. Ray, you are the best, my friend. Have a, a, a great call this week, and we'll talk to you next week. What time, Cody? 5.30 Mountain. Just, you know 5.30. That's all you need to know. 5.30. Because Cody said we go on at 4 and you'd be our first guest. Well, that means it's 4.30 is your first guest, right? So yeah. you guys talk back and forth to answer? Yeah. So they... we'll talk for a half hour. And hey, then... yeah, you know you know, by then they're going to be nine inning games. So, heck, we might still be playing by that time. Well, yeah, that could be true, too. <laughs> all right, but, but, we'll but no, it'll be, it'll be a, all right. Take care, guys. Good talk to you. Buddy, are you there? It's Chris Townsend with the A's. How are you? Yes, yes. Hello. I got to think for you, just getting back to playing baseball again has to be really yeah. special for you. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, you know, just getting on the field, being around fans, being around, you know, the other guys that, that weren't at the all-side and things like that, it's, it's a great, great experience, and it's, it's definitely good to be out here. You know, I was talking about it early in the show, and, I mean, whether you're talking about minor league baseball, college baseball, uh, sports in general for both boys and girls, for so many people, high school, who have lost over a year of competition, just mm -hmm. how tough has that been for a lot of the guys that I know you're very good friends with? Oh, man, it's been um, really tough. You know, it's been a challenge for a lot of people. Not just obviously in baseball, as you know, but just in life. Um, it's definitely tough, and I'm definitely very blessed and fortunate to still have a job. 
but um you know it's it's like i said it's unfortunate and it's just sad how uh it happened um there's not much really anyone i guess could do um and i and i know a, a couple of my buddies uh who lost jobs but uh i guess there's always a positive that can can come from things you know what i'm saying and and everyone lost a year but uh hopefully in in time we can all come back together as a society and, and you know work this out and get rid of the mask and get back to how things uh used to be and for the past couple of days just tell us what it's yeah. been like to have fans again in the stands oh i mean it's it just you know it makes the game way better you know what i'm saying i mean yeah. The guys, everyone, you could ask any any player. Uh, there's nothing like playing in front of fans, whether they're heckling you or cheering you on. I mean, it's obviously awesome and cool to have the fans cheer you on when you're either in the field or at the plate. But when you have a fan or a group of fans that are, you know, the doubters or the haters, it's, it's always cool to, um, you know, listen to them, hear them, and, and, and use that uh, use that energy uh, to, to do something. Well, you've gotten out to a great start. And I think coming over from San Diego – when you come yeah. to the A's, this is the land of opportunity. I mean, there, sure. there, there's For been sure. a lot of young players who have gotten to play Major League Baseball with the Oakland Athletics. So when you came to the A's, what what were your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, pretty much land of opportunity. You know, I, I was obviously fortunate enough to get drafted by the Padres and, and spend my time there. But obviously coming over, I wanted to just uh, continue to improve my all-around game on both sides of the ball. And just have fun, man, to be honest with you, because there's there's you can't there's so many things in life that are taken seriously. There's so much other things that we have to worry about as humans that we come to the field and play a sport. You know what I'm saying? For a living. We're so blessed. So, I mean, I just, you know, I take it for what it is. I, I work my butt off. I, I get information from people. I use it to the best of my ability. And I just want to help uh, others and myself and continue to improve and, and take the opportunity and, and hopefully win a job. You know, one one of the things that I, I think you've probably noticed and we all notice is, you know, the A's have been to the playoffs three straight years. This is yeah. a really good core group. There's a lot of confidence and there's a lot of talk about winning the World Series. What's it been like for you to start this spring training in the clubhouse, knowing that the expectations are to go far in the playoffs? Oh, I mean. Every team, obviously, I, I would think it wants to win a World Series, you know, or has the expectation of, of getting 90-plus or 100-plus wins, whatever it may be. But um, the emphasis from day one was uh, we want to win a World Series. We, you know, after being at the all-fight and watching the guys come in every day, get their work done, and, and do what they did and make it and reach the playoffs, it was it just is motivation for, for the guys that were at the all-fight, the guys that weren't there, everybody that came back. is like what we want to do is get a good core group of guys together and push – push the envelope and, and get to the World Series and obviously win, um, for sure. I mean, like I said, I think it's every team's goal. And obviously going how we go about it is, is what's going to get us to um, to that um, World Series championship. When you're out there playing right now, talk to us about this core group and how talented this roster is. Oh, man. I mean, I'm not going to list anyone just because I'm not leaving off any names, but I would say everybody. Everybody has something here um, from the pitching side of the ball, catching every position that brings something to the, to the table and to the team. And with all the talent here, um, we're still, I mean, we're only a couple of days in, so we're really still, people are still finding themselves. You know, we're getting the Cowboys out. Some people are a little nervous. Like, I mean, for me, I was nervous day one, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's getting back to the routine, understanding like who you are, what you want to work on, what you may need to work on. 
and then going out there and, and, and not necessarily thinking about it, but having that approach to how can I get this done? Because at the end of the day, spring training, of course, you want to see the results. You want to see the home runs, hits, strikeouts, all that stuff. But in reality, you really want to work and hone on one thing, I guess, or sort of like your craft that can get you on the team or whatever the team needs. That's what you should be working on. So, yeah, well, the, talent, the talent here is, is unmatched. Well, obviously, you're very athletic, and, and you got great athleticism from your time playing in the SEC through through the minor leagues. Uh, just talk about how your game and, and, and what you really bring to the roster. Well, I mean, I think I, I bring all five tools, uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think speed, plays, I have range. I can hit for average. I can hit for power. I can throw the baseball. I can be um, – uh, speed kill, so I could be um, hectic on the bases. But um, I mean, for me personally, I just like to be humble. I think I, I have, like I said, all five tools. But um, in any case, I just want to come here and continue to to show that and continue to prove to myself and to the guys around me that that uh, I belong. Just because I feel like all the hard work I put in and all the other guys put in. I mean, everybody's coming here for a spot. There's no guarantees. There's no there's no gifts. Nothing's given to you. So it, it's all about for me, honestly, hard work. Um, continuing to improve every single day, uh, trusting what I'm doing, trusting what I'm doing with the coaches, um, trusting everybody in the staff, you know, the whole organization, and, and and just having my plan and sticking with that. Like I said, continuing to help others, help myself, grow as a man, grow as a person, and, and the chips will, will fall into place. Everything will fall into place. Um, but I, I can control what I can control pretty much. You know, let's end on this. Uh, I, I think the yeah. real word, the 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 word that means the most most right now is appreciation. I think all mm-hmm. of us, whether you're a player, you're a coach, you're in the front office, us as broadcasters, fans, I think we just all appreciate the game being back. You know, seeing fans in the stands, you guys being in the field, it's just it, it it's it, it's a new feeling. I bet you've never had in your career. I've never had in my career. I just. I'm just thankful we're just all back. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh, you can see it in in the fans' faces, our faces. I mean, the energy, even though there's only like, what, 20% capacity and the um, and the fans are uh, like sort of scattered, you can still feel it. I mean, you hear fans heckling us. You hear, you hear uh, just everything. So, it's, I mean, it's really cool to have them back. Um, and, yeah, I'm so appreciative to have sports back, you know. I mean, being able to watch other sports, being able to, to get away from reality of life and everything that's going on and to, you know, lace up the shoes, go out there and uh, do something at the plate or throw a guy out. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. It's so good to be back. Well, I got to tell you, there's a lot of A's fans who are excited about your start to this spring training. Thank you so much for your time. Be well, be safe. And I can't wait to see you in Oakland. For sure. Thank you so much and stay blessed. Well, Seth, it's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Uh, just having you guys back on the field, having fans in the stands. What has been the what has the start of spring training been like? Oh, it's been phenomenal. Um, like you said, it's awesome to have fans back in the stands. Uh, just being back on the field, back in the sunshine. Um, it's just uh, it's been awesome so far. Looking forward to the rest of the spring, and uh, I just you know it's just a, such a different feel when you have fans in the stands. Um, it's awesome. 
Yeah, and it, it's it's even though it's not sold out, you know, and there's only so many fans, it's just the fact that you guys are looking at human beings and they're cheering you on or they're booing you, whatever it is. It's just I, I, I think you players and even us with the media and us with the ball club, we just have a new a newfound appreciation for the fans. Absolutely. I mean, to me, fans have always made the games for me. Um, it's uh, it's just almost incomplete without them. So, you know, whether you're getting heckled, whether they're cheering for you, it's just or just the, the constant mutter from the fan. I mean, just from the stadium itself, uh, it just changes the game, uh, changes the field for us as players. So it's it's been really fun to see everybody again. And, um, you know, we always have our, our fans that come out every year. So it's good to see familiar fans, um, you know, and the new ones that show up. It's just awesome to have people out. Yeah. How good was it for you to hear? And I'm sure you guys have talked about it, that it's going to be 162 games and you're going to play a full season. Yeah, it's really, it's really all we've been looking forward to uh, with everything going on in the world right now. It's, it's a crazy time. Uh, it's been a crazy 2020. So looking forward to turning the page, uh, starting off the 2021, um, you know, with everybody involved. Uh, and as far as the full season goes, it's just, it's a, almost a dream come true for us as players. Um, been looking forward to it since, uh, you know, the end of the season last year. So it's, uh, it's a great opportunity and uh, we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, it seemed like a really long off season, even though it was normal. But what was the off season like for you, and, wh- and what did you work on? Uh, the off season for me, um, it, it really didn't. I mean, yeah, granted, we had a little bit more time, um, but finally, get, I mean, being home uh, was really good, um, and getting back into the training regimen that I do every off season, and I spend my I spend my off seasons up in Central Oregon. Um, and I train at Boss Sports Performance up there. Great gym, and great great community up there. And I train with a few other guys that play throughout the league. And um, it's just kind of back to the grindstone for me. Um, I'm pretty. I'm a pretty simple guy. Um, you know, it's up at up at 5:30 every morning, um, and straight to the gym, straight to hit. And it's just like I said, I'm a simple guy. So it was it was really nothing new for me, um, but just a lot of training. Well, when you have uh, all the siblings you have, it kind of toughens you up as a kid. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, and it, it's, it's awesome having a big family um, and just being involved with all my brothers and sisters and their kids now. Um, it, it's, it's awesome to be a part of. I, I enjoy it, have enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, it's like you said, when you're, when you're second to youngest, you've you got to toughen up quick. <laughs> you, you know, it's really fascinating these days are all these different places, whether it's for pitchers or for hitters that have popped up around the country that gives you guys really a place to, to get better. And there's video and there's all this data and technology. Uh, what are these places like for a hitter like for you? Uh, you know, it, it's it's a game right now where, I mean, analytics are everything. Um, and there's so much data you can pick from to help you out. Um, and it, it, for me, it's kind of a pick and choose sort of thing. I, I have to really discern what numbers I need to focus on, um, you know, what measurements I need in order to be successful. Uh, when there's so much information fall, I mean, flowing around there, it, it can be overwhelming at times. So I think it's, you know, the thing for me that I have to do is pick what I believe is important for me, um, important for me to focus on. Uh, otherwise, it's just like it gets overwhelming when you can, because there is so much information that you're able to get your hands on these days, uh, not just from a baseball 
perspective, but training's perspective. I mean, it's, I mean, numbers are becoming everything. So uh, it's important to understand it all, and it's important to pick and choose kind of what is going to work for you uh, as a player. You know, Matt Olson told us earlier this week that he thinks he got too much into video, and it kind of messed with his head. And, you know, just thinking about it, you know, last season, you know, you leave mm-hmm. the ballpark, you, you go to the hotel, you're not allowed to go anywhere. And, you know, sometimes it's better to get a little old school and get the – see ball hit ball back because you can you can't do much video absolutely absolutely i am uh, i'm a big believer in the old school way um to me i i mean i i agree with matt a lot as far as sometimes when you're looking at video you can it's all it becomes an obsession of what you're doing wrong um and you're constantly getting that feedback and every player is different you know I, i know players that really really enjoy it um and it really really works for them uh me personally i I, I stay away from video as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I like to feel my swing versus see it. Um, you know, I have a picture in my head of what I look like uh, when I'm hitting. And when I look at video and, and it doesn't look that way, it drives me nuts. So, um, you know, I'll go to video only a handful of times throughout a season. Otherwise, I just like to feel, uh, feel my swing. And if I'm feeling good, uh, it usually means I'm hitting, I'm hitting okay. I feel the same way in golf. It's like when I see my swing, I go, ugh. And then you start yeah, absolutely. all the things. You start thinking about all the things you do wrong, and you forget about the things that you do well. Absolutely. I mean, and it takes away, at the end of the day, I mean, it takes away from your focus on what's actually happening. It's, you know, as far as when you're facing a pitcher, I mean, the arms are getting so good these days that if your mind is on, is on something other than what's, I mean, what pitch is coming out of his hand, um, you really are lowering your chances of being successful at the plate. So uh, just me personally, like I said, I stay away from it as much as possible. How good do you think this A's team is? Uh, we got a lot of talent running around out there um, and obviously a lot of veterans running around. And so, you know, it's a great combination of uh, skill and, and uh, just no knowledge of the game. Uh, when you have guys running around out there that have been around the game for so long, um, it's just amazing the type of information that you can pick up, uh, especially for me, uh, you know, learning as much as honing my own, my own skill set, my own craft. Uh, but when, like, when you got a lot of talent running around out there mixed with a, a great knowledge of the game. We always appreciate the time. Be well, be safe. And uh, I don't know. By the way, before you go, did you hear about what happened in California today? Absolutely not. Um, they're saying what, we what happened. They're saying we can have fans as of game one, opening day. Oh, that's a fa- that's fantastic. Oakland A's fans, get out there. We need you. Oh, it's going to be glorious. Hey, thanks so much. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. Hey, good talking with you. Appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to it. Hey, it's great to see you. How have you been? Been doing well. Uh, you know, good to get out here and get things going and preparation for a, for a full year of I uh, still got the protocols, but feels a little more normal uh, being out here in February and, and getting games going. So, yeah, everything's good. Just how was it seeing fans and hearing the cheer and you hit the home run? Just what was that like for you? <laughs> normal. <laughs> Back to normal. Uh, it was good. You know, we it was one of those things that we definitely took for granted a little bit, uh, having having some fans in the stands and, you know, a little energy in the stadium. And yeah, it was, it was cool. And, uh, you know, 
you know, it's, it's nice to have it here. Hopefully we can find a way to, to get it during the season too. But uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah, it, it, it really is crazy what we have taken for granted over the years, us, whether it's players or us who've covered the game. You know, I, 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 Cody and I talk about all the time, the last Oakland A's game that we've been to was the wild card game against Tampa. I think we've all kind of taken it for granted. And I'm glad that you guys noticed that because you know how much our fan base loves you guys and they can't wait to get back into the ballpark and cheer you guys on. Yeah, it's that game feels like forever ago too. Um with such a so many things going on last year and how long of a year it was. And, uh, you know, I think everybody could use a little uh, escape from uh, all the depressing things going on with COVID and uh, other things and just go out and, and see a game and, you know, have us entertain. That's what we do. How excited were you when you heard 162 games? Because I, I know 60 games suck for everybody. Just your reaction when you found out we're playing a full season. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, it was good because we didn't have to wait around and and kind of wait for another agreement and, uh, you know, delay spring training or anything. And, you know, everybody was getting ready for, for this full season and the normal reporting date. And it's nice to, to stay on track and, you know, not have to – have it pause and be like, oh, let's wait a month or, you know, whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, to have a full year back to normal, normal scheduling, uh, you know, normal off days, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. So, I, you know, talking to a few of your teammates, I, there, there's a real theme about you guys think you can go far. You've won 97 games two straight years. Then you win the division. You got past the White Sox in the first round. It just seems there's like a lot of confidence in your clubhouse that you guys know what you need to do to take it to the next level. So speak of that, the confidence that's going on with your ball club. Yeah, I mean, you look around the clubhouse. Um, you know, we lost we lost some key guys like Katie and Marcus, and uh, but man, we brought in some more guys, some veteran guys who've been around and won rings, and you know, guys with. 10, 15 years in the big leagues and uh, the experience that comes along with it. And, you know, not even to mention their talent, uh, bringing guys in like Romo, Rosenthal, Moreland, Elvis, you know, it, all these guys who have Jed, who've, who have been around and had big careers. And, um, you know, we're excited to, to bring that in with what we've already had and, uh, you know, and just build off, know, the, the success that we've had the past few years and, and definitely take it further this year. You know, I'm glad you brought up Jed. We got to talk Jed to Jed when he signed. And we all know when he's been an A, he's been healthy. He's an extra base hit machine, hitting all those doubles. Uh, how does Jed look in, in, in his new time with the A's? He looks great. I mean, we uh, – we're not getting uh, too crazy with game speed. Obviously, we're it's still early and, and working out and everything. But man, it, I mean, looks just like he did when he was back here. Uh, he's swinging the bat like crazy right now. Just the same professional Jed Lowry at bat that, that you've seen before, um, and maybe even a little more pop. And, and from what I've seen in BP, um, he looks great. He says he feels great, and. Uh, Hopefully we can we can get him out on the field consistently and and 
you know, have him produce. He hit, what, 48 doubles last time he was here? So, uh, you know, it's not just a, a little piece you're adding to the puzzle if, if uh, you know, it's, it's the same kind of results. So we're happy to have him back. And uh, obviously a, a veteran guy who's been around and, and, you know, just a professional. Take us through your mindset during the offseason. What, what, what was the, the main thing you were working on with your swing? Uh, yeah, obviously there were a couple things that I wanted to address. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about, uh, you know, I, I wanted my bad angle more vertical. Uh, you know, it just, it puts me in a better spot and you know, I don't roll off the ball, but, you know, apart from that, um, I didn't want to get too mechanical. Uh, I felt like last year I kind of got bogged down in, uh, video and mechanics and, go to the cage and work on this. So uh, while I was focusing on a couple things, I, I really wanted to get the feel and rhythm back uh, in my swing. And uh, I felt I felt pretty good uh, as we started up. And uh, you know, I, think I'm, I think it's on the right track. You know, it's funny that you say about the video, because I, I remember last two years ago doing an interview with Coco Crisp, and he was like, you know, at some point, you just got to say, see ball, hit ball. You can't get to – I mean, video can help you, but then it, it can get such in your head. So speak to that where at some point, you you know what, I just got to – I got to go out and be me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's so accessible to us, and watching video is uh, something that you have to do in today's game. You got to know what the guy's got, and you got to be able to um, – you know, assess things through video, but there's definitely a, a point of uh, diminishing returns where you where you just um, are glued to it. Uh, you know, I was I was too locked in. And, you know, we, no distractions from off the field last year. Like, you know, you leave the field, you go back to your hotel room by yourself. So I, I pull up video and, and wonder what happened that day. You know, it, it's it's funny, but. It, you know, it did play a factor, and I just became uh, a little too caught up in it. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that it, it took away from the feel of, of being in the box and, and seeing the ball and hitting the ball, like you said. Um, and I wanted to, to kind of take a step back. And, you know, baseball is not the sport where the more you do necessarily, the better you play. Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of dumb in that way, but sometimes less is more. And, um, you know, I felt like it was one of those things I kind of had to, to go through it to have the realization, and um, that's where I'm at now. It, it's so like golf. It's like sometimes in golf, the more balls you hit, the more you play, the worse you get. <laughs> I mean, right. All right. You talk yourself into to the shame for a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. You know, I, I, you, you think about last season, and I know it was so tough on you guys, and – and I remember you and I talked in, uh, I think it was towards the start of the off season where it was like 60 games really did feel like 162. I mean, you guys are testing every day. You got to get to the ballpark early. Just talk about what that season was like for you guys. It was a grind. Yeah, it was tough. Like I said, I mean, you, you go to the field when you can, um, they have time slots for everything and you get there and when you leave, you go do nothing. Uh, it's it was it was just as tough mentally as it was to you know show up and and prepare yourself every day. Um, 
you know, there's things that we weren't used to, like dealing with, uh, like I said, time slots and you can only go to the cage at this time. You can only be in the weight room at this time. Obviously, I understand there was <laughs> the pandemic going on, but um, it did it did make it tough. And uh, you know, I know a lot of those same things are in place right now, but we've been through it, and um, you know, we just we just got to manage with with the way it is. You know, we're going to be sharing this uh, audio with our beat writers, so I'm sure they're going to want to know how was the first home run of spring and how did it feel. It felt pretty good. Uh, you know, I've seen I've seen uh, Noe a lot with the Angels, and uh, you know, he just left the left the fastball a little over the plate, and uh, it felt good. I just felt like I was in there and reacted and and got to it, um, kept it fair, and and got a barrel on it. So it's it's good to see something like that and hit a hard ground ball to short the at bat before. So. Uh, it's a pretty pretty good first day. You know, I we I've talked to Bob Melvin about this, well, and, and Bob agrees, and and we've talked about an MVP in your future, and you have that kind of talent and have that kind of ability because also of how great of a defensive first baseman that you are. What 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 are the goals, the expectations for this season? Well, you know, I obviously something like that is, is in the back of your mind for sure. Um, you know, you want to go out there and, and play the best you can. And I think that, um, you know, it's not something that's, that's out of the question, but you know, I, I don't, my, uh, my goals are, are kind of always team related. Uh, you know, if the team is winning and, and we go deep in the playoffs, I'm kind of in the, the mindset of everything else will, will take care of itself. And, um, you know, you got to go out there and, and uh, think about think about the bigger picture and, and let the smaller stuff fall underneath. Well, let's end on this. You 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 actually had a pretty big off season. I mean, not only did you get engaged, you got a puppy too. I mean, you're like yeah. all through this off season. I, I really went for it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the puppies the puppies growing. Uh, put a ring on the finger. Yeah, you know, hey, why not all at once, right? Well, you know, you know what it also does for you? It just frees you up and, you know, you can just go play baseball and she's happy and yeah. you got the dog and life's good. Yeah. He's got someone to, to play a little fetch with and I'm just out here playing baseball. Well, I got to tell you, one of the things that we've really enjoyed uh, with Fernando helping us out is just to get to see you guys because we haven't seen you in over a year. Right. It, it's hard to believe, but uh, congratulations on the offseason, getting engaged. And good luck this season, and we can't wait to see you in Oakland. Awesome. Thanks, guys. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 